Good evening, everyone. And welcome to the Arkenstone server. We at the Lotro Academy are pleased to host our colleague, Dr. Holson, here on Arkenstone. Just as he is running a school in literature, we run our own middle school on how to play Lotro. Lotro Academy is a casual kinship that has made its priority helping new members learn the game. We have a podcast where we discuss the various systems of the game to give our views and advice on how to use them effectively. Our kinship has a weekly field trip on Fridays at 6 p.m. server time where we get together and occasionally quest together. Before I introduce Dr. Olson, I would like to read a poem about a location that we hope to visit tonight. <laughs> Deep in the dark and dangerous wood, a hatred hampered or hobbits on a quest. Their path did twist to push them south the withy window where willows slip by the foulest bee Frodo was snared as his friends were trapped in a frightful grip. As Frodo's hope faded, he fervently called till Tom answered as the tamer of the wood. Now everyone, please welcome the second best expert in the <laughs> old forest, uh, next to Tom Babidel, of course, <laughs> Dr. Corey Olson. Excellent. Thank you, Pine Leaf. I always look forward to Pine Leaf's poems. Uh, one of the, there are only a few people that I know, a few living people that I know, uh, who enjoy composing poetry in alliterative verse, uh, which of course, as, um, as Tolkien felt, uh, is, you know, very much a, a lost art or a dying art, uh, which of course, uh, he hoped, uh, to revive, to revive. Uh, so I'm always, uh, I'm always, uh, uh, delighted to hear, uh, uh, Pine Leaf's poetry. Okay, everybody. So tonight we are, we're totally actually going to get to the old forest tonight. Uh, so last time you'll remember, uh, I titled the class Entering the Wild, and I was talking all about like that line between the, 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 the tame world and the wild world and how you know we were going to be looking at the crossing of the boundary and stuff and going into the old forest, and then we never actually made it out of Crick Hollow at all uh, because we spent the whole time talking about Frodo's dreams. So uh, I changed the title last time of, of last class <laughs> retroactively to Frodo's first dream, which is all we talked about. And tonight we are going to do Entering the Wild. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, and yeah, Lincoln, you're totally right. There's no way we're making it to Tom Bombadil tonight. I don't even have aspirations of that. Uh, neither neither Old Man Willow nor Tom Bombadil shall we see here this evening. Uh, so, but uh, But hopefully uh, we can, if we're uh, swift, we can get as far as a little more poetry. Um, so we'll, uh, 
We'll see about that. Um, okay, uh, so quick announcement before we begin. Uh, two quick announcements. Uh, one, a reminder, as I mentioned last time, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, we have a really cool uh, uh, roundtable discussion of Game of Thrones, both the books and the movie. Uh, this by some of Signum's faculty and also some of some uh, some guest scholars uh, who have all published on Game of Thrones and have thought a lot about it. It should be a really interesting discussion. That is on July 25th. Again, go to signumuniversity.org, scroll down just a little bit, and you will see the uh, the the little the little box for the for the event page where you can get all the details and register for the for the session and everything. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. And tomorrow, trees and avizen guard tomorrow. So uh, uh, we're we're I'm looking forward to getting back into the manuscript history of the Lord of the Rings, uh, picking up after uh, the pause by Balin's tomb. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do my stream. So I'm. I'm uh, streaming tonight, not only on Twitch but also on Twitter Live. Um, so uh, feel free to join me on either place. If you're mobile, it might be easier on Twitter. Um, and I should be able to see your comments here on Twitter as we go too. Um, and if you are on uh, following us on Twitch, I saw that we had a couple new people uh, here with us tonight. Uh, there is a Discord channel, um, and I think people can post the link for you there in the Twitch chat. I can see the Twitch chat. I can't always follow it uh, very closely. Um, so I'm, I'm monitoring more closely the Discord chat if you want to. Uh, and I love contributions. I love observations that you guys have about the, the, the passages, questions that you have. Um, so I try, to, I try to keep up with those there. All right, uh, so we're off. Uh, now, before we move on, uh, we have to end. Carita, I see that comment, so there we go. Uh, the, twi- the, the Twitter live comments, I will say, are a little bit ephemeral, like they kind of flash in the screen and then vanish after a little while, so uh, uh, I, sometimes I miss them. But, uh, but anyway, I can't see them. All right. Um, so tonight, before we, uh, before we uh, move forward, we want to talk about the dream a little bit more. Um, this is uh, uh, Blue Wizard raised this on the discussion uh, forum, and, and I thought he had pointed out that although we spent like an hour talking about um, Frodo's dream last week, uh, we, uh, there was some stuff. I don't know. I won't say that we... Uh, that we missed it exactly, but uh, but I meant to come back to this more, and I didn't. So uh, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, in last week's class discussion, we spent a lot of time discussing Frodo's dream, but the close reading of the text has left me with more questions than answered, as it so often does. It just opens up so many more things that you never thought about before. I know that always happens to me. We had surmised that Olmo was responsible for Frodo's vision of the sea. Well, surmised is a strong word. I would say theorized, speculated, guessed, would be more more the verbs I'd be comfortable with there. But anyway, yeah. Perhaps as a counterbalance to the influence of the ring rates, which clearly seem to be represented by the crawling and snuffling creatures. Yes, we've got the fear, hope, right? Talked about that. Okay. However, it is made quite clear that Frodo has often dreamt of the sea, and is even troubled by these visions. Yes. And kudos for using dreamt, which of course people don't do often enough anymore. Um, are we given any other indications of what these dreams might have been? Is it a recurring dream with the same imagery each time? Sadly, no. We have no idea. This is the only reference we have to those other sea dreams that Frodo has, so we don't really know anything about uh, those other dreams. Do we know how long the dreams have persisted? No, um, but he uh, adds, if these dreams began prior to the appearance of the ring rates, what purpose would they have served at that time in his life? So, okay, 
Uh, has he had them since before the ring wraiths? I'd say, yeah. I mean, basically, that means, like, more than a couple days ago, then definitely, yes. I mean, it sounds like it's been going on for a Again, we don't know for sure, but I would definitely guess uh, that he's been having them for, for, for some time, presumably uh, years, um, just based on the, the way that it's described. Um, uh, so what purpose would they have served at that time in his life? And I think, Blue Wizard, the... Um, um, the 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 implication of your question is if the purpose of this first dream was to give him hope to help to counteract the fear uh, of the ring wraiths, what was the point of them prior to the fear of the ring wraiths setting in? Right, um, and I think that. Um, just because he's had dreams like this before, in this, well, in one sense anyway, that he's dreamed of the sea in some sense, doesn't necessarily mean that those other dreams had the same focus or the same purpose as this one does. That is, I don't think that just because we see, you know, uh, uh, you know, our conclusions on reading, at least my conclusions on reading it, um, were that this um, uh, that that this dream was it was designed to bring him hope. That doesn't mean that all of the other dreams about the sea were designed to give him hope equally. Um, so I'm not sure that that necessarily follows. So I'd be I'd be I'd be careful about that, um, especially since we don't know what it was. This doesn't the way that it's described. It does not make it sound like this is the dream that, for this exact dream, like, once again, he was having that dream about the sea and the tower, right? In fact, uh, the fact that there seems to be novelty in it, like, he doesn't recognize the smell of the sea right off, right? So clearly, he, he's not, that sequence that we see in, the, in that dream hasn't happened. Um, so we can infer that the dream that he has is unlike the other dreams that he's had. Perhaps it's more detailed, perhaps it's simply different. Um, we don't know, Um so I don't think that we can conclude that this is just like yet another one of those sea dreams that he's that he's been having, though we can't get away from the fact that he has been dreaming of the sound of the sea, right? That is something, a sound that enters his dreams a lot and is worth thinking about. Okay, I also found the use of the word strange uh, when referring to the smell of the salt in the air to be intriguing. We know that Tolkien was very careful with his word choices, but I am not sure how they fit uh, into this context. What, which meaning of the word is intended here? One might guess it is meant as unfamiliar, but if Frodo often dreams of the sea, wouldn't the smell be familiar to him? And I, not, not necessarily, I think. Um, he needn't... This might be his sort of closest encounter with the sea in his dreams. Um, the reference to the sea in his dreams is mostly about the sound. Uh, you know, he's heard the sound of the sea in his dreams, and it might just have been that, it seems likely, uh, even from the description. Um, and especially, I would say, the use of the word strange there, that this is new. Um, this actual appearance by the coast and with the elf towers. Um and one last question. Is there any connection to Frodo's dream here in Faramir's recurring dream of the tidal wave? Uh, no. I would say no, for two reasons. First of all, this doesn't, again, I said this This doesn't sound like a recurring dream, like yet again the same thing that he has usually. So it's not a recurring dream in the sense that Faramir's dream is a recurring dream, right, where he's always having the same vision, uh, you know, the same dream over and over again of the, uh, the huge wall of green water headed towards him, right, the huge wave. Um, the other... The other, th- and of course, for those of you who don't know, I know most of you probably know this, but for those of you who don't know, that's historical, right? Tolkien had that recurring dream. He 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 said he bequeathed it to Faramir, uh, and actually mentioned in his letters that after he did, uh, after he wrote that in uh, to the Lord of the Rings, he stopped having it. 
which was interesting. But uh, but anyway, he, he's you know he he had always had that recurring dream of the the, the wave of water rushing towards him. Um, but anyway, within. The book, right, Faramir's dream is a dream about Numenor and the fall of Numenor. So, I mean, it's ocean-related, right, because there's the wave involved, but it's not really a sea dream in the same way that Frodo's dream is a sea dream, right? There seems to be sea longing involved. And Faramir's dream is not a sea longing dream. It's a fall of Numenor dream. Um, In fact, that's how he characterizes it. Right when he sees the wave of darkness, you know, the 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 the, you know coming towards them, he says it reminds me of Numenor. Right, I often dream of it. Uh, So, so he's thinking about he's not the the ocean is is kind of has a a supporting role, right? In Faramir's dream, it's not the primary point. Um, So, but then this brings us back to the question of Frodo's dream. Okay, all right. So, so why is he dreaming of the sea? and Tongo asks the very logical question, which t- to me is, is sort of implied in some of the Blue Wizards questioning here. Does the ring play any role in Frodo's dream? If we presume, as, as I presume, that he's been having them since before the Ringwraith showed up, when did he, has, has he just been having them over the last 17 years? Now that we don't know, right? I mean, there's no way of telling how far back they go. It doesn't mention that he had them in childhood or anything like that. Um, the fact that the dreams seem only to have featured the sound of the sea, that his dreams have been troubled by the sound of the sea, uh, it seems more like sort of an echo, right? Again, he's not dreaming about the ocean, he's not dreaming about the towers regularly, he's just hearing the sound of the sea. And, um, we can't know for sure. My own impulse, my own my own reading here would be no, that they don't come from the ring. Um, mostly because this doesn't seem to me like the ring's M.O. I don't... I can't see any reason why. I mean, do I think that the dream could be... A dream could be manipulated by the one ring? Possibly. I mean, we do see it affecting the mind of its, you know, uh, wielders. It's not been like what we've seen so far. Review briefly what we've seen so far of how the ring interacts with them. Remember, we saw the ring acting on Frodo in that uh, that we, we saw it acting on Bilbo, right? When he was doing that whole, like, I want to put the envelope on the mantelpiece, but I want to pull it back too, right? The way in which he, you know, that the, the, the yes and no thing, remember that from way back several months ago? Um, you know, we could see him struggling with the influence of the ring on him. We saw the influence of the ring on Frodo back in chapter two when Gandalf tells him to chuck it in the fire. Right, and especially the thoughts that he has as he looks on it. Remember, when he's looking on it, and he's like, "Oh, it's so pretty!" Right? How perfect is its roundness? Right? How, and uh, and and he doesn't. He finds that he really doesn't want to throw it away. That's the ring acting. It's very clearly the ring acting on him. Right? And Gandalf observes it, and immediately afterwards says, "See, it has already got far too much hold on you." Um, sending of dreams. That's not a. That's not. I mean, I get so. Can I rule it out? No, I can't rule it out. But it doesn't seem the standard MO of the ring. What's more, I don't see the motivation, right? That is, this doesn't seem like the kind of thing that the ring is interested in. Um, Why should the the ring make Frodo dream of the ocean, right? Um, If anything, that's certainly in the opposite direction of where uh, uh, Frodo should go. Um, But... 
what does the ring have to do with the ocean? What does Sauron have to do with the ocean, right? I mean, the sea is associated with the West and with Valinor that lies beyond the sea, and neither the ring nor its maker wants to think much about that, right? So I can't see... It just doesn't make any sense to me that the ring would do that, that the ring would inspire that kind of thing. Um, So, uh... Um... Exactly. Lincoln says it's not trying to get Frodo to wear it or reveal it, you know, so I don't think this is a ring induced dream. Right. Exactly. Um, or to, you know, that, that's, you know, the, the, the primary thing we've seen the ring do right in its influence of people is to bind the ring to them. Right. That is with both Bilbo and Frodo, we have seen it influence them in the I really like this ring and I want to keep it way. Right. That it's it's uh, it, it's self-centered. So far, it has made them think about itself, um, and in a possessive way, uh, and an unadmiring and a possessive way. Um, and as said, Link and I agree, like, it does not seem like the kind of thing that the ring would do. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, okay. Now, Galandar suggests perhaps the dreaming of the sea promotes his general feeling of restlessness and convinces him to wander out of the Shire into danger, possibly, though I have to tell you, I am less than 100% convinced that the wandering, the restlessness that Frodo feels is from the ring. It might be. That's possible. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We've seen, for instance, that, uh, I don't know. Um, so far, Frodo is the third hobbit or hobbit-like creature to possess the ring. And neither of the other two were driven to wandering by it, right? Gollum will hold up permanently for 500 years under the mountains. Um, Bilbo was getting restless, but I kind of think that his restlessness... Again, I'm not sure. I'm not sold on the idea that Bilbo's own restlessness and his desire to see mountains again... Um, has much to do is is a direct result of the ring. It's possible. It's possible to read that as like the ring telling him like, "Hey, go to some mountains." In fact, I have some particular mountains you might want to head towards. Right? Wouldn't the mountains of Shadow be a great place to vacation in this year, Bilbo? I mean, I I, I can see that. I, I mean, I, but I'm not ho- I'm not wholly convinced at all. Um, it seems to me, and here's the main reason that I'm not convinced, when Bilbo gives up the ring, when he relinquishes the ring and the ring's hold on him ceases, his desire to wander is not diminished, it's increased, right? He leaves and his, his, his joy in heading off to see the mountains again is amplified, not you know, it's he's not like, oh, gosh, you know, now that I've given up the ring, I find actually I'm, I'm fine without seeing the mountains, right? So I, that's why I'm not convinced. It's possible, but I'm not convinced that Bilbo's restlessness is a result of, of, of the ring's influence on him, nor am I convinced that Frodo's restlessness uh, is uh, a result of the ring's influence on him. His dreams seem to me evidence that he's being influenced that there is some other power at work here influencing Frodo as well. He's been prepared um, in some ways. And, you know, even the fact, and this is something that uh, Tolkien mentioned in one of his letters when he talked about the fact that um, Frodo remained single, that Bilbo and Frodo remained single. Remember in the prologue, which we talked about, um, we'll get to that eventually, um, but in the prologue, uh, we're told that... um, 
Bilbo and Frodo were, as bachelors, quite exceptional. It was very unusual for hobbits to remain unmarried in the way that Bilbo and Frodo did. And when Tolkien talked about that in his letters, he talked about this sort of sense of calling that they had, even though they, they never kind of thought it about it. They never, um, uh, they never, you know, formulated, you know, they didn't like, well, I shouldn't marry because, you know, uh, I have a calling upon me and I might be, you know, need to leave home and, and stuff. They never explicitly thought about it that way, but there was something kind of, you know, they had this sort of unspoken sense of like, I have a job to do and I can't like root myself down. I can't be, because they, they, they can't afford to be torn in two the way that Sam is torn into at the end, right? Where he is now rooted and connected through his family to the Shire, right? You know, his wife and his baby. Um, he's not free to go, right? You know, uh, when Frodo says, and I don't suppose you can come with me, and Sam says, well, not very well, sir, right? Um, Frodo doesn't want to be in that uh, position. Um, and yes, exactly, uh, 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 King of the North. Uh, they were not only bachelors, but pretty eligible ones at that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, definitely, definitely. Um, so it was presumably a, very, a conscious choice on their part not to marry. But why didn't they marry, right? And what does that have to do with it? Anyway, I'm not trying to make too much of that, and I don't want to lean too hard on that comment that Tolkien made. But it comes back to the dreams, right? If the ring isn't sending him his dreams, what is? If the ring isn't the one that's making him restless, what is? Right? And I think that both of them might have the same answer. Um, dreams are not a clear ring thing, right? We don't see... That's not something that we, we very plainly see the ring using uh, in order to influence the mind of its, of its, of its wielders. But... Uh, the Valar do send dreams, right? This is this is a known communication method, um, visions and dreams. And in fact, uh, this is one of Gandalf's primary um, uh, uh, MOs, in fact. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and... Irindus, that, that your comment there influences my thinking on this, too. Irindus says, sending a sea dream in order to create restlessness, you know, which might kind of bear fruit down the road and making him wander off and, and, and get caught and give up the ring. Seems like very high level of planning uh, that I don't think the ring displays otherwise. Yes, I mean, one of the questions which, which so often comes up, and I think it's an important question, to what extent is the ring capable of long-term planning? I mean, is it, does, it, does it do that? Um, you know, is the ring sort of more id-based than that, or can it actually play? You know, is it just impulsive, or can it strategize, right? Um, and I, um, I'm not convinced that the ring, uh, Irindus, I'm also not convinced that the ring is capable of that kind of planning. We'll see about that. Um, uh, and again, I want to keep our minds open and see what we observe as we go through. But, um, uh, but yeah. Yeah, exactly, uh, 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 Tony. The, the lore in Oloran means dream. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, Gandalf is associated with dreams. Um, yes, um, uh, Aurururon, whose name I always have such a hard time saying, uh, is uh, reminding us, of course, that, you know, uh, uh, Irmo Lorien is in charge of uh, visions and dreams, and, and there's Lothlorien, the dream flower. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of... Uh, uh, associations with dreams. Dreams are, 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 are a thing, but they're not a ring thing, 
exactly. At least not that we not that we see. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll so. So who's sending him? Again, we don't know exactly what's the purpose. We're not really sure. I mean, we know that Frodo's connection with the sea is very down the road, right? Eventually, going to the West and seeing towers in the West and and uh, and that, that sea longing that calls him, um, that's a very, very distant prophetic echo of what's going to happen, right? Eventually, he's going to set sail across the sea. Um, but that is way advanced uh, past where he is right now um, in such a way that it can only be um, I don't know uh, what is its effect to, to, to sort of stir his spirit in some ways um, perhaps it's not going to fully bear fruit maybe Frodo himself won't understand at all his connection to the sea until the end of the return of the king, right? Himself. Uh, it seemed that, I mean, the ocean thing is certainly somebody playing the long game with Frodo here, I would say. Uh, so, yeah. Now, Harnuth says that all elves dream of the sea and Frodo's been hanging out with elves for years. Well, yes, but first of all, hanging out is a little bit of an exaggeration. I mean, he's met them on occasion, but it's not like he's constantly hanging around them. And B, or did I say one? Anyway, second, um, even that wouldn't necessarily convince me that their dreams are going to wear off on him. Well, I mean, he'd have to be uh, pretty thoroughly elvish to start having elvish dreams, uh, really, himself. So, um, so yeah, I think... Um, the greatest cue that we have to understand the significance of the sea in Frodo's dreams in the past is the one that he's having in the present, right? And what do we see there? There we see it being about hope and encouragement and the awakening of desire in Frodo, um, which is a crucial thing at this particular moment. He's just about to cross that boundary and leave the Shire, I mean, he's left the Shire technically when he crossed the river, but he's still in Buckland, right? So he's going to be leaving the world of hobbits behind uh, and uh, and going off into the wild and, and among those sniffing and snuffling uh, creatures that are trying to kill him, right? So um, he's doing that tomorrow. Um, the sea vision seems to suggest, just as much as it's hope versus fear, it's about desire, like, you're not running to avoid something. You're not just running away, Frodo, right? This is not just you attempting to escape. This is you seeking something, right? You've got a purpose. Again, desire to cause you to go rather than fear to make you run, right? Um, it really, it kind of recontextualizes the whole thing. Um... Yeah, yeah. Matt, I agree. Matt says it's an echo of the desire to see what is in the blank places of maps and his desire to climb the tower in the sea. Yes, exactly. Um, and that again, see, that kind of restlessness, yeah, the, the white spaces, you know, and wonder what, wondering what lays beyond the edges of maps. See, that kind of curiosity, again, I'm not convinced that that's a ring thing, uh, that the ring is leading him to, to, uh, uh, to do that. Um, okay, um... 
Yes, James. James is saying he was just reading The Treason of Isengard, and there's this whole thing about the dream. Absolutely. James, I was thinking about that, needless to say, right? I mean, I was just uh, rereading the chapters from Treason of Isengard last night, too, and in the passage of The Treason of Isengard that we're going to talk about tomorrow night, we're going to talk about the first draft, you know, the, the earlier draft of this of Frodo's dream and how to, how that evolved and how Tolkien changed it, which is totally fascinating in the context of the discussion we had last week. So uh, it's a uh, Totally perfect, James. Really interesting how those two things go together. So looking forward to talking about Frodo's dream more from a different perspective uh, tomorrow night. But I shan't be drawn into talking about it tonight because we have to stay focused because, you know, uh, staying focused and making uh, rapid progress is what we're all about around here. Okay. Uh, Speaking of which, let's actually move on. So you ready? Let's do this. Okay. So Frodo is woken up. We had the thunder and the light, and then it turns out to be Mary's uh, light and, and his knocking on the door. Soon after six o'clock, the five hobbits were ready to start. Fatty Bulger was still yawning. They stole quietly out of the house. Mary went in front, leading a laden pony, and took his way along a path that went through a spinney behind the house, and then cut across several fields. The leaves of trees were glistening, and every twig was dripping. The grass was gray with cold dew. Everything was still, and faraway noises seemed near and clear, fowls chattering in a yard, someone closing a door of a distant house. In their, sh- in, in their shed they found the ponies, sturdy little beasts of the kind loved by hobbits, not speedy, but good for a long day's work. They mounted, and soon they were riding off into the mist, which seemed to open reluctantly before them and close forbiddingly behind them. After riding for about an hour, slowly and without talking, they saw the hedge looming suddenly ahead. It was tall and netted over with silver cobwebs. Okay. Um, yeah, Amathorn, I agree. The, 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 the vividness of these uh, uh, pictures that Tolkien uh, paints with his words, and of course, connected with the pictures that he painted with his brush as well. You can tell from Tolkien's paintings that he saw these landscapes, right? You know, we, he so often tries to capture them uh, in his paintings, and of course even more often and even in, in, in much more detail uh, tries to capture them uh, in, his, uh, in his descriptions. Um, what is the effect of this, would you say? Um, I mean, on the one hand, of course, this is... Uh, uh, this is a very, uh, to use one of my favorite words that I made up, verisimilitudinous description, right? That is, it's actually like this, uh, 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 a, a, a true-to-life description. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's often before dawn, you know, misty and wet uh, and things like that. But, um, but what's the significance here in this moment? Right. Um, yeah, Tony. Good. It's it's it, it it points out the distance. Right. We we get this sort of last glimpse of the civilized world. And on the one hand, you'll notice the proximity of that. Notice the two things that they can hear. It emphasizes how how you know in the uh, in the wet and cold darkness, sound seems to carry uh, really strongly. And what are the sounds that carry? Fowls chattering in a yard. Someone closing the door of a distant house. Domestic sounds, right? Uh, you know, yard sounds, basically. We get this reminder uh, that they are in Buckland, right? They're still uh, in the center of Hobbit civilization here. Um, yeah. Um, 
notice the um, the the beauty of it, right? It's very lovely, um, but it's not welcoming exactly, right? That is to say, it's um, it's cold, it's wet, um, it sounds. I mean. As you picture it, and of course, the, this description makes you picture not only the the sights, but the sounds, and not just the sights and the sounds, but the feel. I mean, can't you can't you feel like your 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 your, your wet feet, right? And uh, you know how your 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 pant legs are going to get wet to the knee, right? Walking uh, uh, in weather like this, the sound of the the dripping uh, as the uh, water drips off the twigs. It's uncomfortable. Right. Uh, this does not sound like the, uh, the 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 happiest, most comfortable time. It's not ominous. He doesn't. It's not. You know, compare for instance the description of the fog when they leave Farmer Maggots. Right. There, uh, the effect was much more stifling. Right. They're going out into the darkness. They can't see. Uh, you know, they don't know what they're going through. It's like you know this 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 fog of uncertainty. Are they going to you know? Th- is, is a black rider going to appear on the causeway? Remember, they can't run away. They're on a causeway. Uh, is going to appear on the causeway right in front of them. Um, this is not fog like that. It doesn't have that same kind of effect. You'll notice that although there's a mist, um, everything is, they're, they're able to see things very starkly. In fact, the mist brings out um, many of the things, right? Like the cobwebs. Uh, and, and again, I, you can picture this so clearly. We, we've all seen that, right? Uh, when spider webs have uh, have dew and mist on them, so that they stand out, you can see them from a distance, right? Look at all the cobwebs that you probably wouldn't even have noticed on a hedge, right? Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, that's uh, um, that, that's I think a really uh, 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 interesting. Detail again. It's 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 not concealing. It's actually showing things up. Um, Amethorn says a sense of sadness. Uh, you know uh, the sense of sadness as they're finally leaving the Shire. Um, possibly, I can see I can see sadness here again. Not, it's not uh, it's not ominous. Um, uh, John Osgloss says he finds the cobwebs on the hedge are very evocative for those of us who read The Hobbit first. We know there can be giant spiders. Are we going to get giant spiders? Yeah, it's a good question, right? Um, you know, is there foreshadowing in the, uh, in the, in the, because it's not just that there are cobwebs there. Notice the description, right? The hedge looming suddenly ahead, it was tall and netted over with silver cobwebs, right? So it's like the hedge has been encased. It's netted. It has been caught in a net of cobwebs. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's not, again, it's a, perfectly normal sight. Um, but I agree, Brandon, that it's, uh, coming from the Hobbit, you know, you can't be a hundred percent sure, right? Um, yeah, Tungo, I agree. Spinny is an interesting choice too. They went through a spinny behind the house. Uh, That's just a term for a small clump of trees, uh, as I understand. Um, I don't, I don't know what the associations are with the word spinny. Um, like, what's the difference between a spinny and a copse, for instance? And is, you know, are there, is there, you know, uh, like, um, uh, connotations there that I don't know? It doesn't convey all that much, um, uh, to me, but, um, 
but you know, maybe, uh, maybe it does. I don't know. Um, that's what I would wonder about Spinny. Um, yeah, good. Okay. So we're moving towards the gate. How are you going to get through this? Asked Fredegar, the hedge, of course. Follow me, said Mary, and you will see. He turned to the left along the hedge, and soon they came to a point where it bent inwards, running along the lip of a hollow. A cutting had been made, at some distance from the hedge, and went sloping gently down into the ground. It had walls of brick at the sides, which rose steadily, until suddenly they arched over and formed a tunnel that dived deep under the hedge, and came out in the hollow on the other side. Here Fatty Bulger halted. "'Good-bye, Frodo,' he said. "'I wish you were not going into the forest. "'I only hope you will not need rescuing before the day is out. "'But good luck to you, today and every day.'" Okay. Bye, Fatty. Um, I love the tunnel, right? Um, they have a... They have a gate. The... the, the you know, the, or what does Mary call it? A private entrance, right? The Brandy Bucks have a private entrance to the old forest. Um... But, uh, notice they don't have a break in the hedge, however. Um, you would think, maybe guess, that what they would have would be some kind of gate, maybe an iron gate, right? That would just, like, so you'd have, like, hedge, you know, arched gate, and they didn't break the hedge. They dug underneath it, right? Uh, so the hedge is solid and continues, and they just have a tunnel that goes under, uh, that has a gate, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Julia Crookedheart says, uh, "Do not speak words of omen, Fredegar Bolger." Yeah, exactly. The uh, I only hope you will not need rescuing before the day is out. Uh, do turn out to be uh, sort of prophetic words. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's certainly true. Um, last notes about Fatty here, right? Um, I wish you were not going into the forest. I only hope you will not need rescuing before the day is out. But good luck to you, today and every day. Um, it's possible to read this kind of flippantly, right? Like, f- as if Fatty were not really very committed to this. Like, okay, but, um, bye! Good luck to you, right? Have fun storing the castle, right? I mean, it could, it could easily, you could, you could sort of make, make it, you, you could easily read Fatty that way. Um, I don't think, I mean, I, I tend to read that last sentence much more solemnly than that, right? I mean, he, he can't, um, he can't help but kind of give that one last sort of dig about how he thinks this is a bad idea, right? Um, is it, he, he gives one little, uh, like, uh, preemptive, I told you so, right? You know, uh, uh, you know, he, he didn't press it because he's not going with the party, so he says his vote scarcely counts, but he was against this idea, right? Um, however, he wishes him good luck today and every day. Um, yeah, uh, JJ asks if uh, if they did need rescuing, who does Fatty think would go to their rescue? Uh, well, JJ, I think Fatty's point is there isn't going to be anybody who can go in to rescue them. So, uh, uh, so I think that's yeah, exactly. Good luck because you're going to need it, James. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah. And Julia, I agree. It does seem that he's uh, doing the hobbity thing of making light of a serious situation so they don't have to express their emotions, which is very British. Uh, I agree. Uh, the today, you know, uh, good luck today and every day uh, is still I think it's a it's a it's a serious expression, you know, of his uh, uh, of his intention, you know, of his uh, of his good wishes to Frodo. Um, but it is still kind of light. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Yeah, excellent. Um, good. Okay. Let's keep going. If there are no worse things ahead than the old forest, I shall be lucky, said Frodo. Tell Gandalf to hurry along the east road. We shall soon be back on it, and going as fast as we can. Goodbye, they cried, and rode down the slope and disappeared from Fredegar's sight into the tunnel. It was dark and damp. At the far end... I wonder if it's full of the ends of worms, do you think? At the far end, it was closed by a gate of thick-set iron bars. Merry got down and unlocked the gate, and when they had all passed through... And when they had all passed through, he pushed it to again. It shut with a clang, and the lock clicked. The sound was ominous. There, said Mary, you have left the Shire, and are now outside, and on the edge of the old forest. Now, as I said last time, right, um, this is, um, this is a very remarkably sharp boundary that they're crossing, right? This is not just we enter the forest and now we are in the wild, right? I mean, it is like that. But this, the emphasis of the closing of the gate behind them and the sound of it, right? The gate shutting with a clang and the lock, that sound of the lock clicking, right? Um, You've not just walked across a boundary like Sam when he had gone further than he'd ever been from home, right? This is not just, um, you know, crossing over a, a much more visible boundary like the river, Right, uh, like Fatty Bulger has done, has never crossed the Brandywine before, and now he has. Right, um, this is shutting yourself away um, and hearing the lock snap behind you. Um, that's uh, that's a pretty it's a pretty big deal. Um, and Lincoln, I agree with you. Frodo is correct to say, if there are no worse things ahead than the old forest, I shall be lucky. Right, um, it's. It remains true that his perspective on the old forest is more appropriate than uh, than Fatty's, right? That is to say, he, you know, Fatty says he's more afraid of the old forest than anything he's ever heard of. Um, okay, yeah, there are worse things than the old forest. Clearly, Frodo's right about that. Um, they will be lucky if there's nothing worse. But Lincoln, I agree with you. He does. Frodo still underestimates the forest's danger, nevertheless. Um, so this is definitely a sort of both of them are right kind of situation, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Lady Shmebulak, I agree. Um, Mary's announcement is, you know, sort of, there, you've left the Shire, right? You know, he's uh, he's kind of no biggie, right, as you say. Um, and are now outside on the edge of the old forest. I think the very fact that he says this shows that he acknowledges this is a big deal, 
right? They're all thinking this, whether or not he says anything aloud. So he says something aloud to kind of diffuse the situation, right? Let's, let's, let's acknowledge this, right? But it, it's not a big deal, right? We'll just sort of cheerfully announce it. Um, and yeah, Sam, exactly. The Hobbit war- walking party just got more serious, right? This is, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, Blue Wizard, it does, f- you know, it, it's, it says it feels more like getting locked in rather than leaving, right? Um, yeah, because they are. They're, they're locked into the forest. Um, but, uh, locking in and locking out, it's the same thing, Right. Um, as we learned from uh, Ursula Le Guin's Dispossessed in the Mythgard Academy uh, a little while back. Um, it's, so this, this action does both things. On the one hand, it locks them out of the Shire. It lost, I mean, it, technically they left the Shire when they crossed the river, but again, Buckland uh, is, uh, is, is clearly an extension of the Shire. Um, they've left Hobbitlands, and they've locked themselves out. And that is such an evocative thing in the context of what we know Frodo to have done, right? I mean, he is uh, in his, you know, he's talked about, you know, his his one-way journey, right, that he's taking um, and that he knows himself to be taking. Um, So... So, yeah, it's, it's, it's the fact that he's locked out of the Shire now really just kind of makes, sort of manifests what we've already uh, seen and known, right? But at the same time, he's also locked into the forest um, and can't get out of the forest. At least he can't get out that way. Now he has to go through, right? Um, the uh, he's, he's committed now to this old forest uh, trip. And that idea of, like, I'm locked in here uh, with whatever hostile things are here in the old forest is kind of a, a big deal. And Amethorn, it does uh, sound like a prison door clanging shut. I mean, that description of the gate of thick-set iron bars and the the clang and the click, right? It does sound like a prison gate. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. And... Uh, yeah. Yeah, Matt says that, you know, they've left the Shire but not yet entered the old forest. It's a sort of an odd non space they have imagined for themselves. Yeah, because they're still in the tunnel, right? Uh so yeah, they're not they're they've they're on the edge of the old forest, but they're not yet in the old forest. So yes, th- this moment when they pause to think about that, they are in this uh sort of middle ground, right? The Shire is definitely left behind. One more step and they'll enter the forest, but they remain there in the middle, kind of looking both ways at this moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, yeah, it, uh, Tony, I agree, it feels like exile, you know, that they're now past a point of no return. Um, that seems That seems right. That seems right. And again, remember, that was an issue in the conspiracy, right? Frodo knowing that this meant exile and thinking that they didn't understand. And they did understand, except they don't fully understand, right? Um, uh, Remember, in the song that they made up, they see themselves coming back, right, later on. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, Yeah, and Aruran... I agree. So he's not only he's not just locked physically out of the Shire, it's not just about him leaving the Shire. Um, he's locked out of his Shire as he has known it. He'll never return. Um, yes, exactly. The Shire is not going to be the same because he's not going to be the same, right? Even if he do, even when he does come back, 
Um, so yes, this is a, this, as he has suspected from the beginning, this is a one way, uh, trip. Uh, and this moment I think is, uh, uh, is really critical. It is a kind of farewell to innocence, uh, Sam, at least we'll see. I think, I mean, there's a lot about the old forest that's kind of like that. Um, it's their first, in a sense, it's their first serious adventure. I mean, being chased by black riders in the Shire is sufficiently serious. Like, it's kind of a big deal. Um, but it's still in the Shire, right? Um, and they could still feel then like this was something was so, so something strangely kind of um, uh, interrupting them, impinging on their space, right? And that's one of the things that Frodo was expressing to Gildor. Um, but... Uh, uh, now it's it's different, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, let's keep going. Are the stories about it true? Asked Pippin. Notice they're still in that they're still in that liminal space, right? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stop and we're gonna think about it as before we take that step into the old forest, right? Are the stories about it true? Asked Pippin. I don't know what stories you mean, Mary answered. If you mean the old bogey stories Fatty's nurses used to tell him, about goblins and wolves and things of that sort, I should say no. At any rate, I don't believe them. But the forest is queer, everything in it very much more alive, more aware of what is going on, so to speak, than things are in the Shire. And the trees do not like strangers. They watch you. They are usually content merely to watch you, as long as daylight lasts, and don't do much. Could just pause for a second and appreciate the lovely idea of like Mary just said, "Don't worry, the trees don't do much, <laughs> right?" I mean, like, just like think about that for a second. It's like, oh, good, not not much, huh? <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, occasionally the most unfriendly ones may drop a branch or stick a root out or grasp at you with a long trailer, but at night things can be most alarming, or so I am told. I have only once or twice been in here after dark, and then only near the hedge. He's not even there yet. He's still under the hedge right now. I thought all the trees were whispering to each other, passing news and plots along in an unintelligible language, and the branches swayed and groped without any wind. They do say the trees do actually move, and can surround strangers and hem them in. In fact, long ago they attacked the hedge. They came and planted themselves right by it and leaned over it. But the hobbits came and cut down hundreds of trees and made a huge bonf- made a great bonfire in the forest and burned all the ground in a long strip east of the hedge. After that, the trees gave up the attack, but they became very unfriendly. There is still a wide bare space not far inside where the bonfire was made. Okay. Um, this... Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ambrosius Aurelianus says, uh, Mary, isn't this something you should have prepared us for before locking us in? Um, st- start at the beginning, right? Pippin says, are the stories about it true, right? Let's, uh, let's be clear on what we, can, we should expect, right, when we enter the old forest. And Mary's like, oh, no, no, mm-mm. Not the, th- you know, the, the old bogey stories Fatty's nurses used to tell him, nah, you know, those things about goblins and wolves? Like it's dangerous because it's full of deadly things? No, no, it's not. There aren't goblins and wolves and stuff. It's not full of, like, monsters and predators that are trying to eat you. No, it's just that the trees are alive and they the trees themselves might try to kill you. <laughs> and it's like, 
Oh, sure, fine. Yeah, that's okay then, Mary. Um, uh, it's um, amazing to me how casual Mary is in saying all of these things. Um, remember the conversation about the walking tree back in the inn, right? Um, where Ted Sandyman refused to believe the idea that an elm tree could be walking, right? Um, Mary, this is not even a conversation, and he doesn't qualify it. You know, he's not like, he doesn't say, it almost seems like they move. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, some say that they actually move. Or, uh, you know, it, it is like uh, tradition holds that they sometimes do this, or some crazy people have claimed that, but, right? None of that kind of stuff. He states this all as a matter of fact. In fact, he just sort of tries, and again, uh, and the trees do not like strangers. They watch you. They are usually content merely to watch you, as long as daylight lasts and don't do much. Um, they're they're usually content merely to watch you and don't do much. So he's like, most of the time, they watch... So the, the, again, there's no debate about, like, are the trees really watching us or not? No, it's a given, right? The trees are totally watching you, right? But don't worry about it. Usually they only do that, right? And they don't do much else. <laughs> okay, but, like, if they do anything else, that's a little alarming, <laughs> Mary, right? Can we talk about this? Are you like, seriously? Um, uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating picture of the, the, and his story about the, I mean, I don't know about you, but this is way more alarming. I think this is way more alarming, uh, than stories about goblins and wolves, right? They know that goblins and goblins and wolves in a sense are normal, right? I mean, okay, like goblins are not totally normal, but they're kind they're normal ish, right? I mean, uh, you know, we know the world is full of like many different kinds of creatures, right? Hobbits and men and dwarves and stuff. And they all know, these guys all know stories of the goblins, right? That they've heard from Bilbo. Uh, so the idea of there being goblins in the woods or wolves, in other words, if this were an adventure kind of like Bilbo, you know, goblins, wolves, he did both of those things. And uh, Brandon, as you were saying, with you know, hints of spiders too, maybe, who knows, right? Um, but that would be kind of normal adventure, at least within their world, right? The world of the kids who grew up listening to Bilbo's stories. But this whole like, no, no, don't, don't worry. That's not true. It's just that the trees themselves watch you and they might try to like trap you or maybe attack you, right? That's kind of, you know, it's just that, right? It's fine. I mean, again, like, in my mind, that's way worse than the bogey stories that Fatty's nurses used to tell them. It's clear that Fatty's nurses didn't get out enough, right? Uh, they didn't actually have the really juicy, dangerous stories. Um, Tungle, yeah, the forest is dangerous fairyland. Um, it, it is a kind of other world, right? Again, the sharpness of that boundary. This is not just... <laughs> Remember in chapter in the beginning of chapter two of The Hobbit, right when Bilbo runs off and goes down to the Green Dragon and meets up with the dwarves and puts on Dwalin's uh, cloak and is heading out and he's glad that nobody, uh, you know, that, that 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 nobody can, you know, who knows him sees him because he looks silly. Um, anyway, but he goes off and that description of sort of the gradual, right? They 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 first they went through 
cultivated lands, right? You know, uh, nice, friendly lands. Where, and then they started to enter places where people sang songs that Bilbo had never heard before, right? And then they start getting it, and then they meet the trolls, right? And then they get to the last homely house, and then they cross over into the wild. Um, that sort of gradual buildup that Bilbo gets into sort of increasingly... We don't get that, right? It is right, bam, the door clangs shut, the lock clicks, and you are in an other world where the trees are watching you and conspiring against you. Again, look, this is Barry's ring. He's like, I thought the trees were whispering to each other, passing news and plots in an unintelligible language, right? So uh, our conspiracy is nothing compared to the tree conspiracy, right, which is going on here. So yeah, the trees are aware of you. They're probably malevolent. Oh, did I mention they bear a grudge from that time when we Bucklanders burned a whole bunch of them down? Yeah, they probably haven't forgotten that. And they're, uh, they talk to each other. Uh, and uh, it, at, when night comes, they'll probably kill us, right? But it's, it's, it's fine, right? Um, yeah, now, uh, Brandon, I agree. If you live near something disconcerting, you often just kind of get used to it. You make your peace with it, and it doesn't occur to you to tell your friends about this alarming thing. To him, goblins and wolves can attack and overcome the hedge. The trees have never done that, hence they're less scary. Yeah, maybe they are, but in any case, that, that familiarity, I agree with you, Brandon, is certainly... Uh, is certainly um, uh, true. This is this is normal Buckland lore, right? Um, remember that um, we're told that Bucklanders are 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 pretty much like the rest of the Shire hobbits, right? Except for the fact that they could swim and they use boats in the river. Uh, I would suggest this is another way in which they're different, right? They, living on the other side of the river, living, as remember, as Gaffer Gamgee said, right up again the old forest, has changed the Bucklanders, I would say. Um, Mary's flippancy about the forest um, does seem to me to be significant uh, in that sense. Um, That he is... It doesn't mean that he's, uh, you know, that he's quite so strange as the Gaffer suggests... But he does have a different perspective. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Julia wants to is wondering if Mary is trying to freak them out just a little in a sort of teasing way, <laughs> like, "Oh, don't worry about wolves. It's the trees you have to watch out for." Um, uh, you know, maybe. I mean, maybe he's playing with them. Maybe you know. Uh, but he's not exaggerating. That is, you know, it's... This doesn't sound to me like teasing, exactly. Um, he's recounting stories to them, right? You know, like the legend of the when the trees attacked the hedge. Um, uh, yeah. Um, couple of you are asking um, about, you know, are these horns? How do we understand this? Well, I'm not sure. One thing that Treebeard will eventually make clear is that the boundary line between tree and horn and ent is pretty... Well, I was going to say fuzzy, but that doesn't seem right, like the right word. Um, vague, kind of leafy, right? Um, 
there's more of a spectrum than categories, right? Or like species here. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I always have a hard time deciding, right? Um, whether I think these, the trees in here could be called horns or not. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> Pippin's response. Is it only the trees that are dangerous? <laughs> right? Oh, so it's, you know, so he's trying to... Pro- I, does this mean that Pippin's not taking him quite seriously? Right? Because Pippin doesn't seem to be freaked out. On the contrary, he's like, oh, it's just the trees? Right? Pff, we can handle trees. Right? But is there anything else? There are various queer things living deep in the forest and on the far side, said Mary, or at least I have heard so, but I have never seen any of them. But something makes paths... Whenever one comes inside, one finds open tracks, but they seem to shift and change from time to time in a queer fashion. Not far from this tunnel there is, or was for a long time, the beginning of quite a broad path leading to the bonfire glade, and then on more or less in our direction, east and a little north. That is the path that I am going to try and find. Is there anything else in there? So there are stories of various queer things living deep in the forest and on the far side. What does that mean? We don't know, right? He's He doesn't know for sure. He doesn't, you know, has he heard stories about, you know, rumors of Tom Bombadil? Has he heard rumors of Old Man Willow? He certainly seems to have heard rumors of the Barrow Whites. And we'll get, of course, more to that when we get to Fog on the Barrow Downs. Um, but... Um, that's clearly what is the thing on the the things on the far side. Um, Lady Shme- Lady Shmebulok is wondering if Pippin's question is half sarcastic. Is it only the trees that are dangerous? Right. Um, I think quite possibly so. Uh, if Mary is I, again, I don't hear a lot of joking in Mary's tone in that previous passage. Um, it may be that Pippin is 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 trying to kind of uh, take the solemnity down a peg, possibly, in this question. Um, it also may be that Pippin is not fully processing here. Um, I mean, I don't want to overplay the the Pippin is oblivious card, but, uh, you know, again, uh, his, uh, his poem and his reaction to his poem has made me wonder that about him. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Matt thinks it's it's kind of alarming that the paths move, right? Uh, you know, it's not good that the trees move, but it's uh, it's even more concerning that the paths move. Um, I, uh, um, yeah, Brandon, I, 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 sorry, I'll come back to that in a second, Matt. Brandon, I agree with you. I, I tend to incline not to, towards Pippin not joking, uh, joking exactly, but saying, uh, you know, is there anything else you should be telling us that you haven't told us, uh, Mary? Um, that seems to me more, uh, seems to me more the, the tone of it. Um, but Matt, about the paths moving. Here, oh, and Matt, I think that's a good point about Pippin. Matt points out that he thinks that Pippin engages in a lot more bravado than mere obliviousness, and that seems to me fair. Um, Okay, so the paths. On the one hand, 
Mary seems to be under the assumption. Remember, the, the, the question was, is there anything other than the trees that's dangerous? And he says, something makes paths. So he seems to be assuming if there is a clear path in the forest, it must be something that lives in there that is not a tree that made it, right? I'm not sure that that's a valid assumption on Mary's part. Um, does this so? Do the paths, if the paths shift about, what does that mean? Does that suggest that there's something in there that's always making new paths? Maybe. Um, does it suggest that the trees move around more? I tend to go back to Mary's words in the previous passage about this conspiracy, right? The news and plots uh, uh, in an unintelligible language. Um, that it may well be that this is a... I mean, if anyone's going to play a long game, it's going to be the trees, right? So um, they're just waiting for the next hobbit to come in, which, you know, might not happen for years, but what do they care, right? Uh, I mean, they're going to be patient, right? Um, so they, like, change the paths around in order to try to confuse them and, and do... St- I mean... Yeah, I, I think that the and Tony, you know, Tony says, does he mean people or could there be, um, um, could there be game trails? Sure, they could be game trails, but that doesn't seem to be what Mary's talking about exactly. When he's, you know, something makes paths. Um, if it were just like deer paths or you know rabbit paths or something, you know, it's not going to be something that you know rabbit, uh, uh, you know, near rabbit warrens or stuff. He's he's not going to be even commenting on that. Um, it seems to be a more significant path. So, it seems to me, well, I don't know, that I'm tempted to say that Mary sounds like all of a sudden he's underestimating the trees. I mean, if the trees move, if the trees do actually move, um, and let's go back to this for a second. They do say the trees do actually move. That's one of the only times he qualifies this. He said the other thing, you know, everything is much more alive, much more aware right? They're watching you. They don't do much. But then he, the the one thing he does qualify, they do say the trees do actually move. He has heard this story about the attack on the hedge, but the, they do say suggests to me that perhaps there is some resistance on Mary's part that he doesn't, does he fully believe that? He's heard that story, but he doesn't report it as truth. He doesn't say, oh, you should also know the trees totally move, right? Be on the lookout for that, right? He doesn't say that. He says, they do say the trees actually move. Um, He's just reporting that, uh, not stating it as fact. Um, And so I wonder if with the paths, his assumption that the paths must be made by something, you know, with feet walking between the trees, um, the most obvious reason for why, sure, that's very logical, but it's not logical that they would shift around that way, right? I mean, if there's a a clear path in one place one day, and then that path is just gone, right? And there's like thick trees, and the path goes in a different direction the next day. Mm, That kind of sounds like the trees moving around to change up the paths, actually. Um, And Aruaran is wondering if Bombadil has anything to do with the paths. Maybe, but we don't have much evidence for that, at least now. Um... Galandar, it does seem to me more like, um, uh, yeah, if you really believe that the trees hated interlopers and that they could move somewhat freely, you might think a little harder about the shortcut through the forest. Galandar, I agree. Mary is confident about the old forest, right? He feels like an insider, right? You know, fatty, please. 
right? We Bucklanders have a private entrance. Again, that phrase, a private entrance, right? Um, you know, uh, we, uh, we Brandy Bucks go in when the fit takes us, right? You know, when we feel like it, we go in there, right? No big deal. Um, I don't think that Mary... I think that Mary is underestimating the old forest, right? And this seems to be connected with it. He doesn't seem fully to get it. Um, uh, so, yeah, and but anyway, uh, on Tom Bombadil, I, again, we know he's the master, right? If he wanted there to be pads and to change them, there certainly would be. But I don't have any reason to see that he would necessarily be doing that. But, um, okay. Let's keep going. The hobbits now left the tunnel gate and rode across the wide hollow. On the far side was a faint path leading up on, leading up onto the floor of the forest, remember, out of the tunnel, a hundred yards and more beyond the hedge, but it vanished as soon as it brought them under the trees. Looking back, they could see the dark line of the hedge through the stems of the trees that were already thick about them. Looking ahead, they could see only tree trunks of innumerable sizes and shapes, straight or bent, twisted, leaning, squat or slender, smooth or gnarled and branched, and all the stems were green or gray with moss and slimy, shaggy growths. Mary alone seemed fairly cheerful. "'You had better lead on and find that path,' Frodo said to him. "'Don't let us lose one another, or forget which way the hedge lies.'" I love that. Let's not forget which way the hedge lies, right? You can already see fear creeping into Frodo's tone, right? Uh, Doubt, possibly, to some extent, right? Uh, In the sense that... um, Why do they not want to forget which way the hedge lies? In case they need to run away, right? Uh, So Frodo is having doubts instantly and thinking about their path of escape. Um, Also, notice there is still that gap, right? Um, the trees don't come right up to the hedge. Um, there's, uh, you know, the, the faint path goes on for a hundred yards or more, right? And then the path vanishes as soon as it goes under the trees. That, too, suggests that uh, unless people normally walk right up and then stop, right? Which is possible, I suppose, but... Um, I love the description of the forest. What do you see in the forest? Trees. Nothing but trees. And notice the individualization of the trees. It's not just a wall of, you know, homogeneous trees, right? The differences, tree trunks of innumerable sizes and shapes. There's, there are many, many of them, right? I mean, just thousands of trees, but they're all different, right? They're all individuals. They're each one watching you, right? And all the different characteristics of them. I love that sense of not the forest, as an entity, right? But of the individual trees as individual entities, so that in going into the forest, you're not entering a domain, right? You are walking among hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of individual creatures who are all watching you. And I love the way that that uh, impression is created uh, through that description. Um, and I agree, Julia, it is a frightfully tree-ish description. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, the, I, I do think we should be thinking of the parallel between them entering the forest here and Bilbo and the dwarves entering Mirkwood, right? Um, that, that boundary was pretty stark there too, 
right? Coming from the fields where Bjorn, uh, you know, uh, around Bjorn's house uh, and Bjorn following them, right, in the form of a bear. And then there's that gate. Um, one, a couple things that are different, though, right? On the one hand, the trees of Mirkwood were more uniform, right? They were all twisted and, and warped and nasty, right? Sort of nastified. Um, these trees are more heterogeneous than the trees in Mirkwood. But secondly, of course, Aruran, as you're right to recall, the whole point of the Mirkwood is don't leave the path, right? We have this path. We're safe on the path. It's a magical path. It's an elf path, right? So it's a magical path, and as long as you don't leave the path, you're safe. Um, but you don't want to step off the path and into whatever you step off into when you leave the path, right? Um, and we get this very... St- there is no safety, right? You're on a path, but the, boom, path ends, right? You just got to go in. Th- so there's no question of not leaving the path. Uh, the path leaves you in the old forest. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Matt says it's less less a forest than a mob. Yeah, exactly, a mob of trees. Um, yeah, yeah. So it is like, um, yeah, I, I agree, Uh Ambrosius Aurelianus, it is. Uh, I think that, you know, if if you're remembering Mirkwood and the descriptions of Mirkwood, you're um uh you're you're doing you're doing the right thing. Yes, exactly, Julia. In the old forest the path leaves you. Exactly, exactly. Um yeah, yeah. Okay. They picked away among the trees. Again, notice that among the trees. That's that's like a totally normal phrase, right? But notice the weight that it has now, right? We are going among the. They're all around us now. We're surrounded. <laughs> uh, I just I love the way that the the, the awareness of that uh, has been increased, and their ponies plodded along, carefully avoiding the many writhing and interlacing roots. Notice the words that he uses here: writhing and interlacing. Writhing is interesting. On the one hand, it's just a visual description, right? The roots are all twisty, right? And But writhing implies motion. They're not moving, right? If they were moving, probably Frodo or Sam or Pippin would be like, dude, it's moving, right? But uh, but yet, he used, the words that he uses, they're motion words to describe the trees, right? So I love how that gets kind of planted, as it were, uh, in our imagination through the description. There was no undergrowth. The, tr- the ground was rising steadily, and as they went forward, it seemed that the trees became taller, darker, and thicker. There was no sound, except an occasional drip of moisture falling through the still leaves. Remember the contrast with the sounds that they were hearing back in Buckland, right? They've locked the door on all that. No more chickens, right? No more closing of doors. For the moment, there was no whispering or movement among the branches, but they all got an uncomfortable feeling that they were being watched with disapproval, deepening to dislike and even enmity. The feeling steadily grew until they found themselves looking up quickly or glancing back over their shoulders as if they expected a sudden blow. There was not as yet any sign of a path, and the trees seemed to constantly bar their way. Pippin suddenly felt that he could not bear it any longer, and without warning let out a shout. "'Oi! Oi!' he cried. "'I'm not going to do anything. Just let me pass through, will you?' The others halted, startled but the cry fell as if muffled by a heavy curtain. There was no echo or answer, through, though the wood seemed to become more crowded and more watchful than before. There was no echo or answer. 
Now, an echo you might possibly expect, right? Just even sort of the awareness of the, the sound bouncing back off the trees. In a sense, that'd be kind of comforting, right? On the, on, uh, in the sense that it would kind of be a reassurance that the trees were, you know, like inanimate, right? Just like inanimate bodies off which sound will cheerfully bounce back towards you, right? That would be... Um, no, no. Um, that, that doesn't happen, right? Uh, the, the antagonism of the trees, right? Uh, the muffling of the cry. Uh, that Pippin's cry is absorbed and smothered. Certainly seems ominous, right? Um, I like that. Uh, Ivenian uh, says, uh, uh, notices the, the word dislike. Uh, uh, from the, the reaction of the old forest and recalls that, of course, Treebeard later on is going to say that he almost feels I dislike both of you, that uh, uh, trees seem to have a lot of dislike. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, both of them, both these trees in the old forest and Treebeard do have that same reaction and use that same word, right? It's not a, it's not a hasty word, right? Dislike is patient and calm, Right, uh, it's not uh, passionate, but uh, but that does seem to be kind of the default setting, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Amy, yes. Uh, reading this passage makes her feel very claustrophobic. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's that sense, and that's you know the the curtain and the muffling of the cry. Right, it doesn't echo like it would if you were in a big open space or even like a... And remember, there's no underbrush either. So sound, you'd think, would travel pretty well between the trees, right? Um, you know, they're not like in jungle or something like that, right? Um, but uh, but no, that sense of, of, of claustrophobia, of constriction, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, now, uh, um... Let's see. Sorry, where's that? Uh, there was another question that I wanted to talk about that I missed. Um, it was from Lady Shmabiwak asking, is, uh, is Pippin telling off the old forest? Uh, well, possibly. What do you make of Pippin's outcry here, right? Um, I'm not going to do anything. Just let me, let me pass through, will you? Impatience, right? Uh, so first of all, he communicates, right, with the trees. Um, there's that sense of awareness, right, that the trees are paying attention to them. So Pippin talks to them, right? This seems like a, a, a sort of a sensible enough thing to do. Um, and he he's not exactly polite. I don't think that he's ever, uh, that he's... Um, uh, exactly, he's not exactly rude either. Um, it does seem like an attempt to release some anxiety. Irendis, I agree, um, but uh, but at the same time, he's he's sort of protesting that they haven't done anything to deserve the enmity that the trees seem to be showing towards them. Right? We're just we're just trying to pass through, right? Um, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just passing through. Um, 
Galandar says Pippin tries to reason with them, thinking they're a rational force that can be reasoned with. Um, almost like he wants to make a deal with them. Uh, yeah. And again, I love the line, there was no echo or answer. Um, as if that was on the table, right? Maybe they would answer. Mm, no, no answer, right? Um, but yes, Amethor and the trees have long memories. Uh, uh, that uh, bonfire thing, right? Might as well have been yesterday. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Alia says it It seems like he's responding to some communications from the trees. Uh, almost like that, right? Um the, I'm not sure exactly what to make of the oi, oi, at the beginning, right? Like, is that, uh, it sounds like a protest, right? Like, hey, you know, I, I, it's not a, I'm trying to get your attention. He has their attention. That's not the problem, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Blue Wizard, I couldn't agree with you more. Blue Wizard says, for all the criticism Tolkien uh, gets for not making or for making black and white good versus evil characters, uh, uh, his varied and nuisanced description of trees shows how things are never that simple. Uh, yeah, ex- as I always say, people who object to the fact who say that Tolkien's everyone in Tolkien is completely good or completely evil uh, has not read Tolkien carefully or recently or possibly at all. Um, yes, it's, I mean, it's hard because, I mean, it's not like I can't see where people get it. You do have creatures like the orcs, whom we are told are totally bad, right, and not redeemable. Um, so it's not like absolute white and absolute black don't exist, even within characters, uh, in Tolkien's story. Um, but to characterize Tolkien's story as a world of black and white with no shades of gray is a vastly ignorant, uh, thing to say. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, see, Lady Shmebiwak is wondering if they're getting that from watching the movies. No, people said that, people have been saying that forever. I mean, like, literally, from the first book reviews, they were saying that. Um, uh, so, yeah, back in the 50s. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, Let's keep going. I should not shout if I were you, said Mary. It does more harm than good. Frodo began to wonder if it were possible to find a way through, and if he had been right to make the others come into this abominable wood. Mary was looking from side to side, and seemed already uncertain which way to go. Pippin noticed it. It has not taken you long to lose us, he said. But at that moment, Mary gave a whistle of relief and pointed ahead. Well, well, he said, these trees do shift. There is the bonfire glade in front of us, or I hope so, but the path to it seems to have moved away. I should not shout if I were you. It does more harm than good. I wonder exactly what harm Mary thinks it does. You're provoking them more? Right? Like, um, don't pretend you don't notice? You know, again, it's, it's, uh, a very kind of vague statement that Mary makes there, and I'm not quite sure what's uh, behind it. Julia, I agree. It's really strong lang- language, isn't it, uh, on Frodo's part? Um, the idea, uh, the, the the fact that he calls it abominable. Remember, that's, that's kind of a word, 
of Frodo's. Um, he called the idea of Gollum being a hobbit an abominable notion of Gandalf's, right? And now he's considering this wood abominable. Um, that's pretty strong, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that really strikes me about Mary here these trees do shift, he says. I think he did doubt it. I think that we can see here, he never really fully believed that bit. He, 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 he knows the trees are more alive, right? He knows they're aware. He believes that they're talking to each other and conspiring. But he seems to have had his doubts about the whole bonfire story and the movement of the trees. Um... Now he believes. And now, unlike before, where he was still assuming if there are paths and the paths shift about, if there are paths, it means there's something that lives in there and makes paths. And if they shift about, it means it's kind of weird, right? Whoever it is in there that makes paths. Now he's, well, these trees do shift. Now he's blaming the moving of the paths on the trees, right? Okay, no, these, these, these trees do, that, this, that, that's a real thing, right? Um... And, uh, no, Tony, I don't think he does have enough experience to know what the trees will do if, like, if you keep shouting at them, for instance. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think he does. But he does have a sense that it does more harm than good. Um, yeah, Matthew, uh, that's the only thing I can think of, that it, that it brings the attention of even more trees, right? Um, yeah, we want to pass as unnoticed as possible. Not that they're unnoticed now, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um... Pippin's tone is still fairly lighthearted, right? It is not taking you long to lose us, right? That kind, that's, 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 that's the familiar tone, right? That's, that's, that's hobbitry. Um, you know, uh, Pippin is still actively trying to put a good face on things. The bonfire glade, I love the bonfire glade. The light grew clearer as they went forward. Suddenly they came out of the trees and found themselves in a wide, circular space. Mary was hoping this was Bonfire Glade. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. See what you think. There was sky above them, blue and clear to their surprise, for down under the forest roof they had not been able to see the rising morning and the lifting of the mist. The sun was not, however, high enough yet to shine down into the clearing, though its light was on the treetops. The leaves were all thicker and greener about the edges of the glade, enclosing it with an almost solid wall. No tree grew there, only rough grass and many tall plants, stocky, stocky and faded hemlocks and wood parsley, fireweed seeding into fluffy ashes, and rampant nettles and thistles. A dreary place, but it seemed a charming and cheerful garden after the close forest. The hobbits felt encouraged, and looked up hopefully at the broadening daylight in the sky. At the far side of the glade there was a break in the wall of trees, and a clear path beyond it. They could see it running on into the wood, wide in places and open above, though every now and again the trees drew in and overshadowed it with their dark boughs. Up this path they rode. They were still climbing gently, but now they went much quicker, and with better heart, for it seemed to them that the forest had relented, and was going to let them pass unhindered after all. Okay. Um, what do you notice? What do you notice about that uh, about that description, right? Is this the bonfire glade? Have they found the right place? 
I'm going to say yes, right? Uh, what grows in the bonfire in the bonfire glade? Rough grass and many tall plants, hemlocks and wood parsley, fireweed seething into fluffy ashes, and rampant nettles and thistles. That's what grows in this glade. Is it bonfire glade? Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, that the fireweed grows there, seeding into fluffy ashes. The memory of the fire, like, there's, like, plant memorials to the... Uh, to, and notice that the other things are kind of ominous, right? Hemlocks and uh, 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 rampant nettles and thistles. Um... Yeah, this is a this is not this is a place that remembers the bonfire, right? Um, yeah, a, a bunch of you are wanting to talk about Old Man Willow and his influence on things. An interesting question, but let's not worry about that yet because we have no data on that yet, right? Let's wait till we get to Old Man Willow and Tom, and we'll 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 uh, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, Tony the Forest has long since reclaimed it. I mean, and anyway, the trees could have come here if they want to. So what do we have? We have a place where the trees won't come. The paths change, but the bonfire glade is always there, right? And in the bonfire glade, no tree will step into the bonfire glade, right? No tree will move into it. It always remains. Um, But it's a dreary place, right? Full of nettles and thistles, and hemlocks, and fireweed, right? It is a place that remembers fire and death. Um, And yeah, Julia, that's exactly how I read it. It seems like the trees are memorializing what is to them a horrific tragedy, right? Both um, what we see in the growth that they permit there, and what they see in the, uh, you know, and and in the fact that they won't enter it. and, uh, yes, good, the ashes remember the fire and the plants are sharp, like the axes that cut the trees, uh, Matt says. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I agree, Tony and a couple of you are, you know, are saying th- these are the things you would normally expect in a, a place, you know, if you, if you clear the trees out, this is the kind of, this is the kind of, uh, brambles and brush that grows, uh, when the trees are gone. Oh, yeah, no, it's totally natural. Right? This is exactly what you would expect to see, and yet notice the significance that it has, right? Uh, and yet, what's the hobbit's reaction to it? They're oblivious. They're just like, oh, phew, so this is great. We love this place, right? It's so bright and sunny here. The blue sky is up above us, and we're not enclosed by the trees anymore, so, you know, this is. Um, uh, this is this is a swell place, and the trees are like, they they. So I mean, this seems to go completely over their heads, uh, over the over the Hobbit heads. I mean, right? Um, uh, the 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 significance of the of the plants here, the a- atmosphere, the tone, right? The dreariness of it. It seems like a bright and cheerful garden to them, right? Eh, no, no, it's a somber and mournful garden, people. There is a certain lack of sympathy for the trees, and I mean that word literally. Um, 
they're not feeling the trees here, right? Um, yeah. Let's keep going. Oh, and they feel like the trees have relented, right? Oh, hey, we've made friends with the trees. Yeah, that makes sense, guys, right? You got to the place where there was a tree massacre before, and you saw, like, the dreary memorials of the tree massacre, and you loved it, right? And you're like, oh, this is great, right? Here we are, hobbits in the place where hobbits burned down the trees before, uh, but now we're all friends, right? I'm sure now now the trees love us, right? Cool, we won, says Lady Shmebulak. Yeah, something like that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe they're being clueless. But after a while, the air began to get hot and stuffy. The trees drew close again on either side, and they could feel, and they could no longer see far ahead. Now stronger than ever, they felt again the ill will of the wood pressing on them. So silent was it that the fall of their ponies' hoofs, rustling on dead leaves and occasionally stumbling on hidden roots, seemed to thud in their ears. Frodo tried to sing a song to encourage them, but his voice sank to a murmur. Okay, so uh, no, no, the trees have not decided to let them pass, right? The, uh, the, 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 the hot and st- the heat and stuffiness, right, of the forest. I mean, of course, the day is is moving along, right? So of course it's getting hotter, but there seems to be more to the heat than that, right? It's like they're feeling the hostility of the wood itself. We've got the trees drawing closer. Are they actually moving? Mm, sort of, maybe, yes. Uh, again, like the moving of the paths, right? Um, they're not seeing trees move. Is it a coincidence, though, that the path that they're following is now through denser and denser trees? No, it seems to me very likely that the trees are gathering around the path that they're following, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um and now they feel it, right? They feel the ill will of the wood pressing on them. Uh, so, Frodo's going to sing a little song, right? Uh, we let's uh, let's see how perceptive this song is, right? What do we get from Frodo's song? Okay. O wanderers in the shadowed land, despair not, for though dark they stand, all woods there be must end at last, and see the open sun go past, the setting sun, the rising sun, the day's end or the day begun, for east or west all woods must fail. Oh, good. Yeah, that's a, that's an encouraging song, right? Um, first of all, this is an odd encouraging song, in several ways, right? Um, first of all, okay, as always, let's look at the form here. What form is this poem? This is a hobbit song, clearly, right? Uh, iambic tetrameter, just like all the others. Iambic tetrameter in rhyming couplets, totally standard for the walking songs and things like that that we've seen, right? Um, it's addressed... O wanderers in the shadowed land, despair not. So it's addressing people who are wandering in the shadowed land. Right? Okay. And it's giving them a message. The message is, despair not. Okay, why should... Now, first of all, uh, do you think Frodo's making this song up? Is he inventing this song? Or is this one of Bilbo's songs? I don't know. Um... I kind of think he's making this song up, frankly, because it seems very distinctly apropos. Now, it's uh, it's possible, you know, Matt says this would have been a good song in Mirkwood. Um, uh, yeah, possibly. Uh, but 
I, I, you know, I don't think that this was this was made up beforehand, right? Uh, I think that the, because it's it's a little too apropos. He sings it to encourage who wanderers in the shadowed land, right? That's not a normal thing. There isn't any part of the of the Shire that that is shadowed land, right? Um, and so he say, hey, I'm going to encourage you. So I'm going to, hey, uh, my fellow wanderers, right in the shadowed land, don't despair, uh, because uh, the woods. Are st- they're standing dark all around us, right? But although they stand dark around us, um, all woods that be, all woods there be must end at last and see the open sun go past. Now, notice the play on words here. All woods there be must end at last. What does that mean? Literally, it seems, right, what are they doing? They're trying to get to the other side of the forest, right? They're, they're passing through. Oi, oi, let us pass, will you? We're not going to do anything. Although the, the, the woods might be dark, they must end at last. Meaning, like, you know, you get to the other side, right? Like, the, the forest ends when you come out of it and get back under the open sun, right? So, all woods that be must end at last. Like, there, there are edges. There are boundaries to the woods. Eventually, we're going to get to the place where there is no more woods. On the one hand, seems like what he's saying. Finally, we get to see the open sun go past. That's the encouragement, right? Um, And that seems a very relevant encouragement. Hey, kind of seems like we're never going to escape from this wood, doesn't it? Uh, In fact, we know Frodo himself was just having that thought, as we were just told that. So, uh, hey, um, don't despair, guys. Um, We're totally going to get to the other side of this forest. Cool. Right. The setting sun, the rising sun, the day's end, or the day begun. For east or west, all woods must fail. One wonders, where is he going with this? We know he's not done, right? Not only because we have an ellipsis at the end, but because we've left a couplet hanging, right? Um, what was the next line going to be, you think? What rhymes with fail? Where was he going with this? Uh... <laughs> James Stevens suggests, and waiting soon a mug of ale. <laughs> that would be kind of hobbitish, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, trail, <laughs> sail. Uh, good. Su- I, I'm not sure. I don't know where he was heading with this. Um, but uh, okay, so the woods must end because I'll forests have a boundary, right? And we'll, we'll, we'll be out under the open sun eventually. Um, the setting sun, the rising sun, the day's end, or the day begun. That sounds kind of like a chorus or something, right? Why is he talking about the setting sun or the rising sun? Um, well, on the one hand, it seems a little questionable, I have to say as a lyric. Um, questionable in the, uh, from the point of view of the purpose of his song. If his song is meant to be encouraging, right? Hey, don't worry, we're going to totally make it through the forest. What are those lines meant to say? Right? We'll see the open sun. Don't worry. It might be the setting sun. You know, tonight. We might get there by sundown. Or the rising sun. Maybe it won't be till dawn tomorrow. Right? Um, uh, the day's end or the day begun. You know, uh, Someday or other, we'll get to the end of the forest. I mean, it kind of seems like we're 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 losing the encouragement. Is is Frodo's own confidence waning? 
over the course of the song? I don't know. But it seems a weird way to go. For east or west, all woods must fail. Uh, and wanderers pass without travail, <laughs> Ambrosius, Ambrosius Aurelianus suggests. Uh, and through this endless thicket we flail, <laughs> says Kalendar. <laughs> you know, all kinds of possibilities here. Um, and release the wanderers from their veil, Palandor says. Okay, all right, possibly. Um, uh, this forest has now become our jail. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah, um, okay. On the one hand, east or west all woods must fail. Sounds a lot like all woods there be must end at last. But it's not exactly the same. Doesn't it seem the idea is kind of shifting? Right? Um, because when you talk about the woods ending, if you're a traveler, if you're a wanderer traveling through the woods, again, the end of the wood just means the beginning of the plains, right? But when you talk about the, the woods failing, you don't talk that way about a boundary, about uh, reaching a boundary, right? I mean, maybe you could, but that's not normal. Now it sounds like he's talking about the death of the forest, right? East or west, all woods must fail. And the east or west thing, right? He's not talking about, again, he's, he's not talking about their journey, like all woods, woods in the east, woods in the west, all woods everywhere must fail. Um, so now he's uh, getting personal, right? Uh, the forest is going gonna, is gonna to fail. So his encouragement, in a sense, it's kind of moving outwards, right? Initially, it's just, hey, don't worry. Every forest has its end. Right? We'll get there. And then he sort of takes that line and seems to play with it. All f- forests have an end in a, in a bigger sense, right? They're, they're all going to fail. They're all going this is this might seem permanent, right? This might seem ancient and immovable. This might make us feel really small and temporary. But you know what? It's, it's small and temporary in the big picture. Right, and notice the transition with the sun thing. That that those lines about the sun, as I was saying, seem to be where Frodo seems to be kind of losing the thread of simple encouragement. Um, setting sun, the rising sun, the day's end or the day begun is not encouraging when it comes to their progress through the forest, but maybe it is encouraging in a sense. Um, from East and west, all woods must fail. We go from, we'll see the sun again, to the sun is a mark of the passing of time, right? Um, as time goes by, you know, as we get more setting suns and rising suns, the tree might seem inexorable, right? The tree might, the trees, the forest might seem irresistible. But you know what? The passing of time is going to, is going to do for it in the end. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe that's where his emphasis is sort of shifting. Um, and he is taking a more, I don't know what, aggressive stance towards the trees. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Veronica, I don't know, Veronica says what will replace the forest, right? If the tree, if the, if the, if the woods fail, What's going to come? More hobbit settlements? Yeah, is this a... Well, Veronica, is this an imperial song in that sense, 
right? Don't worry, soon all this will be ours, right? Who's going to win? Is is this is this a hobbits versus trees thing? I mean, they're feeling very trees versus hobbits, right? So, you know, it would be a sensible kind of retaliation, right? And water hot will soon prevail, Tarloniel says. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, oh, ouch. Uh, ben Silencing says, uh, for East and West, all woods must fail and give lumber with saw and nail. Ooh, oh, that one really smarts. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, see, Irindus, it is possible to read the failing as still geographical, right? It's, 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 it's not, uh, it's not an absolute shift, but the, the emphasis does seem to me, uh, different. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> Lincoln is cringing at the, the idea of imperialism applied to hobbits, but, um, it's, it's, it's a fair question. I think, do they see, is, is Frodo imagining? Again, one wonders where he's going with this, right? Um, someday, you know, this forest is going to be, uh, is going to have failed, and this land will have been taken over by, like, cheerful, happy, uh, peaceful hobbits instead of you creepy, dark, sinister trees. That would not seem to me a very shocking thing for him to say. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yet Lincoln, I do believe the ambiguity of fail is, uh, is intentional. Definitely. Um, (laughs) James Stevens thinks that that's, that's what a, uh, you know, if Sam had taken the ring, he might've chopped down the forests to plant gardens. Uh, yes. Uh, gardeners gone bad, perhaps. Um, by the end, his voice sinks to a murmur. As So he, he begins to sing the song to encourage them, but by the end, he's only murmuring, right? His own voice is suppressed. Um, yeah, yeah. Fail. Even as he said the word, his voice faded into silence. Notice it doesn't say that he stopped singing. Right, he doesn't say Frodo broke off his song. His voice had been dying down to a murmur, and now his voice fades into silence at the word "fail." The air seemed heavy, and the making of words wearisome. Just behind them, a large branch fell from an old overhanging tree with a crash into the path. The trees seemed to close in before them. They do not like all that about ending and failing, said Mary. I should not sing any more at present. Wait till we do get to the edge, and then we'll turn and give them a rousing chorus. Several interesting things here. First, I think it's pretty clear that we ha- what we have here is Frodo singing a song designed to encourage the hobbits, but in the end it becomes a song against the trees, and the trees fight back. Frodo's, again, Frodo doesn't stop singing. Like, he doesn't break off his, he doesn't choose to end his song. He's clearly not done. He's got at least one more line, and possibly more, right? But his voice is stopped. His voice fades into silence. And it's clear that that is 
the result, it's, it seems clear to me, that it's the result of the will of the forest. The air seemed heavy, and the making of words wearisome. His ability to make words is being opposed by the forest around them. Um, notice in Mary's comment, Mary, too, understands, assumes, gets the fact that Frodo's song is aggressive, that this is a a competitive thing, right? Um, wait till we get to the edge, and then we'll turn and give them a rousing chorus, right? The song is an attack on the trees. Mary understands, right? He merely points out that it might be prudent to wait till they do reach the edge. And by the way, the fact that he says, wait till we do get to the edge, shows that that's how he interpreted those first lines of Frodo's song, too, right? Um, it kind of confirms that we were reading that correctly. All woods there be must end at last. Um, he, he he heard Frodo talking about reaching the edge of the trees. He's like, well, wait till we get there. Then we'll turn around and we'll sing at them, right? We'll do a song battle uh, from there. But here, it's not just that it's imprudent to attempt it, um, but Frodo is in a two-sided competition and he loses. Uh, the trees, we don't get a song from the trees, right? right? We don't... Uh, we don't hear the trees singing anything back, but we do get the counterspell, right? We do get uh, the trees' opposition to Frodo's song, and they win. They suppress his song. Um, yeah, Tony says, is the, imp- is, is the oppression that he's feeling a physical threat, like the trees taking away oxygen, or is it strictly a matter of willpower slash magic? Well, Tony, the... You know the barrier between, uh, you know, like sort of like the physical and the magical is is never really all that clear in Tolkien. Um, so you know, is it, uh, it, it kind of both? I would say, um, and yeah, Julia, I would agree. I think they are singing a song, but it's not an audible song. They can't hear it. Um, but I think that what is happening there—the heaviness of the air, the weariness of the making words—is the result of the counter song of the trees. Um, which they don't hear. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, Ambrosius Aurelianus does say part of the tree's attack, you know, their counterattack, seems to be affecting the air to make it harder for the hobbits to breathe, thus affecting the ease with which they can speak and their stamina. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Ambrosius, isn't that interesting, right? Uh, can I call you Arthur? Uh, isn't that interesting uh, that... Um, they, when you think about trees, right? Normally, the whole air thing is, um, you know, symbiosis between, you know, like the the breathing thing is a way in which trees and 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 people can really get along, right? Uh, the whole oxygen and carbon dioxide thing. Um, so it's uh, it, it it is interesting that they're sort of attacking them that way, right? We're going to cut off cut off your air. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly, James, cutting off their oxygen, it does seem like there's, uh, uh, there's, there's a sort of relationship there, right? Like we, normally, we can work together, right? Your breath will feed us and our breath will feed you, um, but we don't have a happy cooperative, you know, we refuse to have a cooperative relationship, uh, with hobbits here. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and yes, I agree. Uh, I agree, Brandon, that the prevention of the song, the dying Frodo song fading into silence like that clearly does suggest a win uh, for the, the song of the trees there. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, excellent. We're done. That's as far as I wanted to get today. Well, okay. That's as far as I wanted to get last week. But that's as far as I hope to get today. Next week, we will get to Old Man Willow. Uh, and we will we'll, we'll get to the center of this, and of course we'll see much more. Um, we've just gotten hints, right? We've just been along the outskirts and seeing what is the opposition of the forest? Um, what is the danger of the forest? We heard Mary's stories, and now we see uh, the trees working in there. We'll see about, old, with, with Old Man Willow, we'll learn more. Uh, and it will be uh, it will be fun to see that. So tonight, it's that means it's field trip time. Uh, so I'm going to say goodbye to the people on Twitch. I can or to the people on Twitter. I always feel bad uh, because the people on Twitter can't see the screen, so it's a little bit strange for them to watch me uh, doing stuff on the screen, pointing to things on the screen that they can't see. Um, so if you're on Twitter and you can join me over on Twitch, Twitch.tv/signumu, and uh, we'll. Uh, um, well, you can you can join us in for, for the uh, for the, for for the field trip now, um, but and if uh, and so I will say good night to the Twitter folks. Bye now. Okay, all right, Twitch folks and Discord people, we will carry on here, and it's time now to go to the old forest. So, I was um, uh, thinking we could probably the easiest thing would be and I, we we need to go to Buckland. So let's meet at Crick Hollow. Okay. Um I think I'm just going to ride from uh, unfortunately there's no swift travel to Buckland um from uh Bree. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to I'm just going to slow travel it uh to to Buckland across Breeland. And uh, then we'll see. That'll be easy enough. Okay, let's see. Got my horse here. Let's ride over to the... Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Tony Mead says, now we can talk about the Twitter folks behind their backs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. All right. And head over to Buckland. Okay. All right. Okay, so if we look over here, see that pathway leading up into the hills? For those of you who don't aren't familiar with the game, that's um, one of the entrances to the Barrow Downs. So we're just passing, we're passing along the road, which is of course where, um, you know, they left the message for Gandalf to say they would come back to the East Road. If you look at the map, you can see the East Road that goes fairly straight from the bridge here in Buckland. And then across, this is obviously the north-south road here is the Greenway. Uh, but 
we're coming along, you can see all of these ruins along the way, because this used to be Arnor, right? And what's more, a contested part of Arnor. So there are all these walls, which you can tell are Arnorian walls, because you can see the Star of the Dunedain, if you look closely. Um, but I'm not going to disrupt it. See, look at the remnants of towers up on top of the hills up here. Yeah, this was, um, as I say, very much contested territory uh, during the uh, the civil wars of the Dunedain. Okay. Oh, and yes, yes. Adso's camp, the camp that we just passed through there, isn't part of the ruins. Um, that was a new construction that was going up there. Um, it's uh, one, of course, one of the characters and things that they invented uh, in the game. Uh, but I always liked that. Um, Adso is the name of a hobbit who has come out and he's trying to build a new inn. Uh, his idea is to build an inn uh, right between um, Bree and Buckland. Right, so it's it's you know there's 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 no there's no in there in between, so he's going to try to he's going to try to build a new one, uh, and uh, he's having trouble with uh, with brigands who are leaning on him and asking for protection money. Uh, those brigands who will, before too long, attack Bree. Uh, one of the many brigand-related uh, quests that you get in the Bree lands, because of course the uh, increasing difficulty with uh, brigands is part of the story. Um, as this gathers. Okay, so here we come into through the Buckland Gate. Here's Newberry. We have Cheerful Hobbit lands. Little fairground, little 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 market. Coming to Crick Hollow. Alright, here we are at our friend the Stable Masters. So let's go back over to Crick Hollow. Oh, sorry. There's the hedge. And the old forest beyond. Um, now, of course, obviously, distances, um, they do, as you guys were noticing, um, walk for an hour. Right from Crick Hollow to uh, uh, to the private entrance, you'd think that uh, Fatty Bulger, and this uh, is he, right, Fatty Bulger here. You'd think that Fatty Bulger would be a little uneasy, right, with uh, the old forest right there up above them, <laughs> right. I mean, there are the trees of the forest right on the other side of the hedge, uh, which is which is fairly intimidating, um, but. Um, I also, I love how they move. You see that the trees right nearby are moving, too. It's just the breeze, right? It's totally just the breeze. But whenever you look at the old forest from a distance, you can see the, um, you see the trees sort of shifting around. Uh, I love that, how it gives the impression of, you know, everything in there being much more alive, right? Um, so this is where we were at the beginning. We're heading down at the end, at the beginning of class, that first description when it was wet and misty, um... And you can see, look, there's uh, Brandy Hall down there. Of course, again, distances 
highly, highly compressed here in Lotro. So, you know, the entrance is right there and the old forest is right there and Brandy Hall is right there. All of this stuff much, much uh, more spread out. Um, but, uh, but I love the way that they convey that sense of boundary, right? With the hedge, you've got this, uh, you know, quiet land. There's the center of it right there with Brandy, with, uh, Brandy Hall. And then you, you know, and, uh, and Buck Hill. And then you have the hedge and the tunnel underneath it, the tunnel underneath the unbroken hedge and, uh, the trees, right on the other side of it. Not set back away as well. Let's see. So let's go down here. I don't think we get... So we get the tunnel. The gate is open. Right here's the gate. Yeah. Okay, so you've got the, the iron gate. Look how it's all bent and everything. It looks like a prison door. Um, but it looks like a prison door that somebody has tried to force. Uh, and we've got the bricks here and the cobblestones, but it's not very... This tunnel totally looks like it would contain the ends of worms. Um... And we come out to the other side now. Uh, we don't. Ha- we have a, cle- a sort of a clearing over here. Um, one thing that's interesting that they've done here: the path does continue into the forest, right? Lotra has not reconnected that, and then the path ended. Which um, I um, I understand. I mean, why they did that? They have to have an opening between the trees for you to go in. Um, I, uh, they do make it kind of hard to navigate in the old forest, even when you have the map, we're not in the old forest map yet. Um, see, we're still in liminal space, where we're kind of in the Shire, or in Buckland still, and not yet in the old forest. Um, but let's go in and see if we can find Bonfire Glade. Now entering old forest. So here's our old forest map. Um, so you can navigate with the map, because... You know, it's a game, and the the paths don't shift. That was one of the first questions I asked uh, when I uh, when I came into the old forest in Lotro for the first time. I was like, "Tell me the paths shift." And uh, all of uh, you know, you experienced Lotro people uh, said to me right away when I was asking that they're like, "Dude, no, it's hard enough to navigate uh, in the old forest without uh, having them actually move the paths around." Um, Emma Thorne says originally there was no map, so yeah, this is uh, this is this was not there at first. So when they first made the old forest, you had to navigate it without uh, this map. So it was much more difficult and much more easy uh, to get lost, right? Yeah, um, yeah, good, good. Um, so this is Bonfire Glade, which. And we're told it's Bonfire Glade. We got the little sign that said it was Bonfire Glade. There's nothing really to indicate. I mean, apart from the fact that it's a that it's a clearing, and we have this sort of scrub brush here and over here. Do we get some? Do we get some? Some? No, we get flowers. Oh, that looks a little thornier. Is this supposed to be the fireweed? flowering into ash? Maybe. Maybe that's what that is. There, it may, you know, you may think I'm uh, leaning a little too hard on the details and looking for that uh, specific a manifestation of the book description in the game, um, but I have seen it time and again. Not always do you find it, um, but... When there are things that are explicitly mentioned in the book, they usually make it into the game. Um, 
Yeah, and I agree, Tony. That the bramble isn't 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 thick enough. Uh, this looks too open, and I don't like the path intersection in it. You know, um, or maybe the trees are just trying to lure us into a false uh, sense of security, right? Maybe uh, maybe we're meant to have the impression here that the trees have relented and uh, are going to let us pass, right? Because uh, this does seem open. We get these two in very inviting trails. Um, well, let's uh, let's carry on down this way and see what we find when we go deeper into the forest. We get a bear. Quick, before somebody kills it, look at the bear. Oops. Notice how the bear is all scarred and nasty looking? That is a sad looking bear. That bear does not look healthy. And there's a wolf. Hey, I thought there weren't wolves in here. <laughs> okay, it turns out Fatty's nurse was right about the wolves. So the enemies that they put in here, bears and wolves, you know, forest creatures, that's fine. That's uh, okay. I don't need to tap the bear. The unhealth of the bears. I mean, again, look at this bear. Look at its scars. and This bear has been through the wars. All of them have, right? These are not happy, healthy, well-adjusted bears in this wood. What have they been fighting with, you wonder? But it makes you wonder, right? That is, the choice that they've made in depicting the, 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 the old forest here, it's dangerous, right? There are dangerous creatures in it, but it's not just the creatures that are dangerous, right? There are bears... And the bears can kill you if you're on level, right? Uh, 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 you know, I'm not in too much danger from the bears just now. But um, but it seems like there's something... Yeah, I mean, James is asking, were the bears attacked by the trees? That's always my question. And yes, uh, JJ, the bears are called bark shredders, right? I'm thinking the trees and the bears don't get along very well. And you know how like bears will like mark trees and sharpen their claws on trees and stuff? Um, I'm thinking the bears and the and the trees don't live, don't play well together here. Um, and so that, yes, like, the bears in here are dangerous, um, but it does, uh, it does give you the impression, um, it, it almost makes me want to turn Pippin's words on, on their heads, right? Is it only the bears that are dangerous? Um, uh, no, no, exactly. Um, yes, Julia says he, even the bears are in danger in the old forest. Yeah, we don't see the same thing about the wolves, which is kind of interesting uh, in its uh, on its own, right? But um, yeah. Okay. Oh, here's a little den of the bears, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, one of the centers of the bear population here in the old forest. Let's keep going on. We've not been attacked by any trees, uh, so that's good. Mary might still be in doubt as to whether the trees actually do shift. Old Muddyfoot's Hill, huh?
So now, what's over here? Oh, just wolves. More wolves and bats. There are bats in here too. And the bats are an interesting choice, right? Um, what do what do bats make you think of? Why should there be bats in here? I mean, bats live in forests, right? So it's not like it's a crazy thing that demands an explanation, right? But um, I can't help but remember that there were bats... Yes, in The Hobbit, J.J.'s recalling the Battle of Five Armies. Um, there are bats... Uh, uh, there are bats in Mirkwood, too. Bats as black as top hats that swoop down coming after the moths. Um, it's It was the bats more than anything else that convinced them to stop lighting campfires, the dwarves, right, uh, in Mirkwood. Um, and, Tony, you're right, Sauron is associated with vampires, so they could be evil spies. Uh, the bats could be very ominous in that way. Um, uh, Sauron himself once took bat f- shape, right? So that's um, there's some precedent there. But we definitely have a uh, a remembering Mirkwood thing. Of course, we're down by the Withywindle now, so we get uh, the river covered in fallen willow leaves, as we'll see. But um, as we go deeper into the forest, things start to change. So again, looking at the map, we entered over here, right? So here's Buckland up here on our left-hand side, right on the, on the, on the western edge. We've crossed the Withywindle and are going down deeper into the uh, the inner reaches uh, of the forest. And when you cross the Withy window, things change. Right? We get some we get some differences. We, we, we had the bears, which, remember, we're not having an easy time of it. Uh, and we had some wolves, and we had some bats. What do we get over here? As we get deeper in. Oh, come back to the Withy window here. See, look, I'm getting turned around. And what happened? Next thing I know... I'm back to the withy window again, right? That's, uh, that's nice, right? That's, what? Spider. Giant spider. So dark and covered, uh, I didn't even see it. Oh, there we go. There's another one. Big black spiders. Just like Mirkwood. Now, again, obviously, there's no reference to spiders in the old forest. Not necessarily... Okay, I almost turned around and went back to the withy window again. I can't help myself. It's almost like I'm being steered that way. I have to, I have to say, I would have loved to... Uh, go, I just got... Sorry, I just got caught on a route. I would have loved to navigate my way around the old forest... Before it's hard to resist the temptation of the map uh, when you get lost. Yeah, exactly, Pontiana. It's like the trees are keep steering me back to the withy window, right? Uh, oh, look, another path. This will doubtless lead us to safety. Doesn't that look inviting? Oops! Notice what they do. Oh, look, the path is gone. Path dead ends you. Oh, where's it sending us? I wonder. Hmm. Who knows? Let's see. Oops. More spiders. Again, no reference in the book, obviously, to spiders. I find the spiders at the least. Oh, look, another path. Oh, good. We're safe again. 
at the at the least forgivable. Um, oh, hey, look, it's another flower. Oh, flowers of the old forest deed. Yeah, so there are all these flowers. Um, you know what the flowers are? The flowers are all named after endwives. Um, yeah, so that's actually a, a, a fun little sort of Easter egg here in the, uh, um, here in the old forest. Uh, there are all these flowers named for endwives, uh, reference to the fact that endwives were once here. Uh, I love that little nod that they give. Oh, the Willow Glade! This should be safe, too. Look at this tree. Right, covered with cobwebs. This is starting to look a little darker, right? Oh, and now the trees are choked. Right, that was the first one to go. Now the trees are just choked with webs. Wow, this looks positively Merkwoodian, right? As we get deeper and deeper in. At first we had the bears. Oh, I wonder where that guy came from. At first we had the bears, right? And the bears looked like they had a conflicted relationship with the forest. Like they were shredding the bark, and the bark was shredding them right back. Um, and But, it, you know, the forest itself seemed relatively wholesome if you could if you could uh, um, overlook the you know the oh wait can I, I can't go this way I gotta go around I always get lost in here right and go around this way can't I yeah okay but now the trees themselves don't look healthy you know the the presence of the spiders here always makes me think of, you know, begins to... I mean, look at this this twisted, half-grown dead tree here in the middle, right? Everything is kind of choked off. Uh, yeah, JJ is worried very appropriately about it. And do we have any low-level people? If so, stay with the family. Uh, you know, we should be able to protect... Uh, you know, people are industriously killing off the spiders as we go. But, uh, but yeah, if we have any very low-level people, they should stay with the family and be cautious here. Um, but again, you get the sense that something is infecting the forest down here, right? These spiders are clearly not any more than the bears were living in a peaceful relationship with this forest. But they have a different relationship, right? They are choking off this forest. Um, that looks really bad. Uh, that giant boss spider. There she is. What's her name? Oh, wait, don't kill the tree. Okay. If the tree respawns, don't kill him again. So that enormous spider is rather unsettling. Yeah, don't kill the tree if he respawns. I'm going to wait for the tree to respawn. Um, you get a quest for this tree, Right? Um, he is, as you can see from the map, we are down here in the very deepest part. You can't go deeper into the forest than this, 
right? This is the deepest, uh, most forbidding part of the forest. And in here we see, again, these tree, the, 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 the spiders have, I don't know if they're making war on the tree, but, uh, but it's not good. Anyway, they're not a positive relationship with the tree. And there's this, there's this horn in here. Uh, there's this walking tree, which I'm hoping will respawn. Uh, so we can look at it closely. Um, all right. <laughs> you were trying to escort the tree to safely, safety and accidentally killed it, JJ? Ha, ha, ha. Um, but, uh, but yes, uh, Ronnie, it does look like the, uh, the spiders are binding the trees. Remember the bind bowl wood, right, in the Shire, um, where, we had, where, where we had spiders there as well. Oh, it takes two minutes to respawn. All right, we should be almost there. I'll keep talking. See if the uh, if the tree. I want to look closely at the tree, like we were looking closely at the bears. Let's see. Come on, Mister Tree, Mister Tree Boss, Mister Tormented Whoorn. Um, the Bindbowl Wood certainly does, and again, I, I lo- the Bindbowl Wood is in the book. Right, the the name is in the book. Um, uh oh, what'd you just kill? <laughs> oh no! Oh, the twisted dead root. Okay. So yeah, there are roots that come up out of the ground and attack you, which is fun. Very topical. There he is. No leaves. Right. Look at his bark. His bark is all shot through with this. These oh, he's attacking me! Wow, that's okay. This guy looks—he looks just like the bears, and he's got this scary mouth thing going on and everything. He looks pretty bad, but uh, oh, won't let me use the tree. Arnor will be destroyed. The tree is saying Arnor will be destroyed. Wow. The tree does have a long memory. Look how unhealthy it looks, though. It's just got this 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 mass of dead twigs reaching out to try to... hope it's not actually killing anyone. Yeah, Haunted Barren Oak, it is called. The Haunted Barren Oak. Uh, so it is barren. It, it cannot bear fruit. No acorns around here, and it is haunted. Not haunting, right? It's haunted. Um, <laughs> you're trying to heal the tree, JJ. That's fine. That's okay. I got a good look at it. That's all I wanted. Um, good. Oh, I think there's a root over here that's attacking folks. There we go. Yeah, you can kill the twisted dead root over there. Um, yeah, so... This, of course, is a separate story. We don't get this sense uh, in the old forest, right? We don't see any places where the trees themselves are under attack. But again, what we do see is them picking up on a Mirkwood theme, right? In Mirkwood, we had a forest, a great forest, Greenwood the Great, right? Which is coming under the influence, or rather, in the case of Mirkwood, has come under a dark and malevolent influence, which can be seen even just in the turning the creatures black, um, that limit it from the butterflies, uh, you know, up to the to the dark spiders and the black squirrels, Um and uh, and so here we have this same sort of implication, right? That even the old forest itself is not um, 
is not evil, is not is not clean, Lord. It is being attacked. But we see again, we, we see it conflicted all the way through the old forest, right? From the bears. Right? Nothing just lives happily here. Everything is the unforest is an unhappy forest. Um yeah, wait, is is this now let's see, can I find my way out? I wonder. Let's see. Let's see if I can find my, my way out of the weaver's den. I often can't. Um, we'll see. Maybe I can. I gotta go around this side. Uh-huh, okay. And then around over here. No. No. See, this is where I always lose it. Where do I get up? There's a way to get up, but I don't remember where it is. Down around over here, yeah. I think that's right where Griffith got stuck. Oh, that's right. See, up this way around. Uh-huh. That's right. Okay. Yeah, again, I just love that these trees look like... Notice how all these... It looks like branches have been lopped off. We have these, these broken off... Uh, roots and limbs, because it's not just branches. These are roots that have been severed, right? I mean, this tree is still alive, but it's not a happy tree. Um, which, to me, has an interesting kind of effect, right? Can we get through these webs? Yes, we can. Um, it has an interesting kind of effect because, of course, the the hostility. It's it's an interesting choice on Lotro's part. Again, to me, it's excusable just by the um, uh, just by the 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 Mirkwood parallel, right? The parallel with Mirkwood, um, you know, that they've established with with Mirkwood, um, and you know, so the kind of playing out Mirkwood motifs in the old forest. That's you know, kind of fun. I mean, so it's not just it's not just depicting what is described in the book. It goes beyond what's described in the book, um, but it goes beyond them in a way that is playing with or sort of inviting us to uh, uh, to think of to to think about a different um, element of the story, right? Um, th- to think about the old forest in conjunction with Mirkwood. So I'm fine with that. Um, it's it's a, a little Hobbit nod, which we often get uh, in Lotro. But, but it's not just that. In addition to that, it changes the dynamics of the old forest completely. Uh, Frodo and Mary and Pippin and Sam, um, at the point in the story that we left off today, are still in opposition stage. Notice how Frodo's song of encouragement, um, you know, what, what was encouragement at first, right? Don't worry, we're going to make it to the other side of the wood. Becomes aggressive, right? Passive-aggressive, I guess, literally, since it just talks about waiting for the trees to die, uh, which presumably they'll outlive, the hob- outlive those hobbits. Um, interesting, right, to take the long view on trees. But anyway, um, it's clearly adversarial, right, the relationship that they have and that they perceive themselves as having with the old forest. Um, Lotro twists that. When we cross the Withywindel and we get into we get into deeper, darker, more dangerous parts of the forest, and when we do, we suddenly find our sympathies kind of shifted around, right? When we get when we're in, I mean, look how nice and friendly this looks, right? Willow trees down by the stream, what could go wrong, right? This is quite pleasant. 
uh, in comparison when you come back out of the spider area. Um, so I'm really, I really like the way that Lotro kind of turns it about. Um, and in a sense, sort of recruits our sympathies on behalf of the forest. Um, so that we see, and, and one of the things that it can be, like, it doesn't let us as players of the game fall comfortably into or remain comfortably within the attitude that the hobbits have at the beginning, right? It's us versus the forest. The forest is our enemy. Um, and we come to see, no, actually, the forest isn't all bad. The forest isn't just evil. Um, and it itself is suffering. It itself is in need, uh, um, uh, is in need of, of, of assistance, right, of help. Um, so, uh, so we'll see. Well, uh, we'll get, we'll come back to the old forest. We'll, we can meet old man Willow and Tom Bombadil, of course, but we'll wait for that for another day after we've talked. You know, I don't want to meet old man Willow and Tom Bombadil till we get to those passages in the book, right? So, um, we'll get to Tom Bombadil real soon, I'm sure. Uh, and, um, yeah, and uh, Tarlonio, I agree. It is too bad we can't get that sense of the trees watching us uh, in the game. It is really hard uh, for the game to convey that kind of uh, uh, that kind of oppression, right? That they had. One thing that interests me also, though, Tarlonio, on that exact point, there is one way in which Lotro does attempt to represent that sense of oppression, right? That kind of intangible feeling. And that's through dread. Um, you know, for those of you who are not familiar with the game, you can see here is the indicator, right? You have a uh, hope and dread. There's, there's like this meter. Uh, it's one through five, isn't it, guys? One through five or zero through five, right? Zero is in the middle. Your, your dread can be up to five. Your hope can be up to five. So if you are in a positive, happy place like Rivendell or the Shire, your hope will be high. It gives you. Um, bonuses and things, uh, and uh, and it um, it makes the the edge of your minimap here blue. Uh, when you are experiencing great dread, it actually reduces your health and it uh, um, well, which is your morale. Um, and uh, and you know, so it, it 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 gives you all these penalties. And of course, you are under extreme dread when you are you know near a Balrog or a Ringwraith or something like that. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, so they have built into the game, which really impresses me because it's extremely Tolkienian, this idea of the effects of hope or dread. Um, they've, they've worked that into the game mechanics, uh, in a, in a, in a really fascinating way. Notice in the old forest, we don't experience dread. They could do that, Terlonio, right? They could, um, they could make it dreadful. Right, make the, the the old forest a dreadful place, and that would seem at first to be a way for them to depict that sense of oppression, right, that the forest gives. But I like the fact that they haven't done that, especially since dread in the game is generally uh, generally has a good and evil kind of valence to it. Um, when your dread is really high, your minimap disappears and is replaced by the Eye of Sauron looking at you, right? So um, it, it's it's definitely a Sauron kind of evil-related thing. Um, but um, 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, Palandor, thanks. Palandor says you can get up to negative 15 dread, and at negative 15, uh, the message is you sense the eye of Sauron upon you. The fear of defeat seizes your heart often, causing you to cower. Often when your dread is negative 15, uh, you, 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 you can't even move. Your character just, just cowers. Um, but the old forest, the oppression of the old forest is not about the eye of Sauron being upon you, right? The old forest is a is a free agent, right? Um, and it might make you feel oppressed, but it's different from the oppression, from like the effect, the fear that 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 the ring wraiths bring. Um, yeah, Amethorn is just drawing attention to the fireflies. Look at all the fireflies, right? It's nice. It's peaceful. Hey, right here in the withy window, we can see the sun, sort of. Not really. Notice the mist, right? It's still indistinct. Which is also cool. All right. Oh, and the music. Ominous, right? Ominous, but not absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, I really like the old forest music. Um. All right. Cool. Um. Well, I, um... Oh, cool, yeah. Palandor says that the text is... The text, when you get to plus 11 hope, uh, it says, Your heart heeds not the night. Yeah, that's awesome. Very Tolkien. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly, Irindus. The the old forest isn't necessarily evil. The trees just don't like you. Exactly. Dislike, remember? It's all about the dislike. Um, though it might increase to enmity... If you're a hobbit standing in the bonfire glade, for instance. Um, all right, cool. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave it here in the withy window, uh, and uh, we'll come back. We'll see. We may continue down the withy window and see Old Man Willow next time. I may save that for a visit to Tom Bombadil, which means we might not do our field trip here in the old forest next week. Might, we might have to wait a week because it's surely going to take us more than one week to get to the house of Tom Bombadil here. Uh, but, um, we'll see. We'll see about that. Anyway, thanks everybody. So we'll, we'll, we'll sign off now. Um, we should have classes normal next week. I'm going to have to, uh, there won't be class two weeks from tonight. Uh, my family's going away again, lots of travel this summer. Uh, so I won't be able to, to broadcast the week after next, but next week we will have classes normal and we will certainly, uh, we will certainly come to old man Willow. Uh, and uh, see how that goes for next time. So thanks, everybody, and I will see you guys next week. Bye now.